Hi, hello, it's Vin. Thank you so much for listening to the Vin and Ali show. We've created something that we're really excited about and we want to share it with you. It's called Recalibrate. It's a 12-step process that helps you create more clarity and more alignment in your life. It's the exact approach that both Ali and I have been using to live happier lives and to achieve all of our wildest dreams in the last seven years. It's been crazy. Being one of our loyal listeners, we wanted to share a special something with you. Visit recalibrate.online forward slash Vin and Ali to access the course for 70% off. I hope you will check it out. Anyway, let's dive into this episode. Hey everyone, welcome to the Vin and Ali show. On this podcast, we're reviewing the book 33 Laws of Business and Life by Stephen Bartlett. Now, first question to you, Ali, do you know who Stephen Bartlett is? I do a little bit. He's the host of Diary of a CEO, which is quite a big podcast. Have you ever listened to any of the episodes of that podcast? I think I've listened to a couple of episodes of that podcast. Okay, you have. Okay. Yeah. Wh- which ones? Do you remember who you listened to? Like who was his guest? I listened to – it was – no, I do not. <laughs> good, good try. Good try. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I, I first discovered him – just through his podcast as well, because he was able to Jimmy get Jimmy some- Carr. That's the one I listen oh, to. Oh, Jimmy Carr. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been able to get yeah. some really notable people on his podcast, which was which was actually really- Because I'd never heard of the guy until I came across his podcast. And that's the only reason why we're reviewing this book, because I I've just fell in love with this podcast. Mm, massive. Well, his ability to question people uh, and his ability to follow trains of thought and continue them, I just thought was really brilliant. And, and, and then when he came up with this book, which was, I think, a, 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 it was an accumulation of all the most powerful lessons he's learned from that podcast. So I thought this, this will be a really cool book to review. Yeah, I love these. These types of books are really cool too. I think they're, they're a bit more popular now where really big podcast hosts mm. are just collecting all the lessons learned over that journey in time. I know Tim Ferriss has done one before. Right. Um, Wasn't that how Tool of the Titans yeah. and Tribe of Mentors was That's written? That's right. It's all based on the podcast. And then, yeah, when you can start yeah. distilling the collective wisdom of all those lessons from all the people that have been mm. on the show, it's pretty cool. And this book's got some really nice sort of tactics and hacks and mini philosophies. So very much for those listeners that are interested in – finding unique angles of solving existing problems. Like I, I found myself taking a lot of notes, not just only for the podcast, but also to implement later on into you know, broader life and business. It's kind of broken up into four, four sections. He calls it the self, the story, the philosophy, and the team. So the book is kind of broken up into four sections. And I'm really curious to see which ones you picked up mm-hmm. and then which ones I picked up. Love it. Awesome. All right. Let's get into it. You go first. I go first. All <laughs> you right. know it. Well, I wanted to go with law one first because I thought okay. surely one of the main reasons why Stephen went with law one being law one mm-hmm. is because of how powerful it is. And that also resonated when I, when I went through it. I kind of went, wow, this is actually a really interesting law. And, and law one is fill your five buckets in the right order. Did you have that as one of yours? I didn't. But I thought you would, so I had Law 2 as my first one. Oh, okay. I didn't have Law 2. Okay, (laughs) interesting. Well, Law 1 states that, again, you've got to fill your five buckets in the right order. And I thought this one would be powerful for people because when you're starting out in your career, when you're early on in your journey, maybe you're restarting a a new career midlife, this is relevant. And these are the five buckets. Bucket number one is what you know. That's your knowledge. 
Bucket number two is what you can do. That's your skill. And bucket one and two are connected because once you have knowledge, when you apply the knowledge, the knowledge then becomes skill. Bucket three is who you know, and that's your network. Bucket four is what you have, and that's your resources. Then bucket five is what the world thinks of you, and that's your reputation. These are the five buckets. Now, I bring this one up as my first one because when I was early on in my life, bro, I would always try to think about resources first. Mm. Then I cared a lot about reputation. I cared about what people thought of me. I didn't think about buckets one and two, and I would never think about bucket three being your network. Did you do the same thing? Yeah. Did you focus a lot more on resources and what the world thinks of you as opposed to building skill and knowledge? I think not not as much, but the thing that really stuck out for me in this, because I always started with imperfect action in Mm. the things that I did. Mm -hmm. So what I probably didn't do is I just didn't follow this sequence, right? So I'd get a little bit of like what you know maybe, but I didn't just leverage it enough. And then I'll do a little bit of skill development, but I'd still be more in the fight. But I think what this sort of five bucket approach provides is a more uh, holistic type of, mm. like I'd nearly call it building blocks. Mm. And it's a really cool way of looking at it because definitely even when we're sort of advising people that are looking at starting businesses and stuff, I never really realized how important number three was too. The and, network? Yeah, the network. And I usually refer to it as relationship capital. Mm. And that's just mm. one of the things, like, especially when you're starting a business, it feels like that I haven't seen too many people get beyond the fact that you need to invest probably the first two years of your business journey into filling up those first three buckets. And again, just knowledge, to clarify, yeah. Your skills and your network, mm. right? And managing resources is important on that way. But I think you're right. Sometimes you can get too focused on resources. Like I need X hundred thousand dollar loan to start this business or I need all this capital and, you know, I need to spend this much money on marketing and all these things. Whereas realistically, if you get a lot of the first three right, but you have enough resources to actually just support the early parts of the journey, the rest should kind of look after itself. If the idea and the concept gets validated quick enough you're solving a problem and people are interested in what it is that you're trying to give out there to the world. But hundred percent, like that framework, like even if you just take that as a little snippet that if you focus on your knowledge, your skills and building a bit of a network, um, you you should win somewhere around there within those three areas, right? You'll either win on your skills um, and knowledge or you'll win based on the quality people that you can connect with and collaborate with. Hmm. I mean, when I look at this as well, I see it as step one, two, three, four, five. And then I feel like when you think you get to five, you think you're finished. So I don't think it's really a listicle. I think this is more of a cycle. Yeah. Because say you build your knowledge, you build your skill, you build your network, you build your resources, and then now you've got a really strong reputation. But then if you start to stagnate and you're not happy with where you are, then I think the key there is to go back to step one. Have you heard of Brian McKnight's song, Back at One? No. <laughs> You've never heard of Brian McKnight's song back at one. Are you serious? No. Okay, let me let me look up the lyrics. Brian <laughs> McKnight back at one. Are you gonna sing a little bit? No, I'm, I'm oh, I don't want to sing it. Sing let, let me let me get the lyrics for you, right? There's a part of the lyrics, um, lyrics where he says this. Okay, where is it? Let me find it. Uh here we go. It's <laughs> Got to sing it now. No, no, I don't want to. He goes, one, you're like a dream come true. Two, I just want to be with you. Three, girl, it's plain to see. 
that you're the only one for me, four repeat steps, one through three. Yeah. Five make you fall in love with me, right? And then I'll start back at one. Yeah. I love that song. And that, that's the song I was thinking of when I was listening to these five buckets from Stephen. Is that I, I feel that a lot of people at the end of their careers or maybe even mid-career, you get to step five where you've now got a solid reputation. You've got a solid knowledge base and skill base, network, et cetera, and resources. But I think we forget that this is a cycle that you should go back to more skill development, back to more knowledge growth so that you can improve. Otherwise, if you just look at this as a five-step journey and then you stop at step five, then I think you know that, that that's a lost opportunity there. Yeah, for sure. Generally, all of these processes, most of the time they mm. are a repetitive cycle. Mm. You know, Whether it's an entrepreneurship like process, a marketing process, whatever – very few things just get completed once you get to step five. And it's like, oh, I never have to do this ever again. I think some people get stuck there though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, me being one of them, yeah. I think some people get stuck there, get comfortable. That's true. And now I'm comfortable and then yeah. I'm no longer going to improve. Yeah. The results are the same every year now. Everything is just the same. Monotony starts to occur. And I think if, if you start to see any signs of that monotony, yeah. of career stagnating, things plateauing, then I think that's a really good go indicator back. to go back to step one. What, what new skill can I develop? What new knowledge can I start to acquire to become more valuable, mm-hmm. to yeah. build a better network, to get even more resources? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I love that point. The other thing as well is I think number five is a very interesting one around focusing on your reputation Yeah, because – that is sometimes the driver and I've seen that happen just with a few people where it's like, oh, I'm going to start this, you know, this business or I'm going to start this job just purely based on the outcome that it's going to provide. Yeah. You know, when I think about reputation, they're also thinking about outcome. And right. if you're focusing on the end point, because really your reputation is just going to be the end result of how you approach the journey, mm-hmm. right? Like if you dominate your knowledge, your skills, your network, your, the use of your resources, the way that you operate – you operate with integrity and with strong values, your reputation should just look after itself. Mm. If it's a pretty accurate reflection of how you've gone about it and whether that's been in a positive or negative way. Mm. Right? So it's really difficult if you, and you're right, I think there is a common trap there where people think about, oh, how's this going to you know, serve me? And how's this going to reward me? And mm. how famous am I going to become if I go down this path? And if you start at that point, it's going to be very difficult to give steps one to four but the respect and care that they deserve to actually result in number five happening. Yeah, it's true because number five is the one that's just, that's the outcome as a result of doing one to four well. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think about it like that. That's really cool. That was a really nice costume change that you just did. There. Oh, it just oh, gets, getting hot. <laughs> that was getting that was, hot. That was solid. We've got the heater on too, yeah. so we might turn it off in a sec. <laughs> Maybe we switch it off if you don't mind, Craig. Uh, is the heater? There it is. There it is. So we're gonna we're gonna do a live, uh, a live turning uh, off of the heater, live temperature change. This is our first one of them. There you go. Hey? That's Ooh. first for first. Uh, thanks for joining us on that journey. Yeah, listeners, <laughs> how good. Oh, uh, not not sponsored by Fujitsu. Oh yeah, our, yeah. our heater keeping us warm. Mark Taylor is the Australian brand ambassador of Fujitsu. Old cricket. Oh really? Australian cricket captain's been like the the face of Fujitsu for like twenty five. What does years. that have to do with cricket? It, does because I don't nothing. Mm. <laughs> Look, I, I, I feel that this is a really good sequence for those, especially in our audience who are younger. If if you're young and you 
you're prioritizing the amount of money you make. I know you spoke about it from an entrepreneurial perspective in terms of how much funding do I need, how big of a loan. But look at it from also a, a standpoint of your career, mm. your job. Don't just focus on the resources that you're going to get as a result of working in that job. Don't just think about the amount of money you're going to make. Yeah. Think about while you're in your career, am I growing my knowledge bank? Am I getting smarter? And then am I getting better with my skill? Am I developing better skill sets? Those are far more important than just the resources in terms of the financial gain. It's really cool as well. If you look at that, as you go through knowledge, skills, network, resources, and reputation, Mm. funnily enough, as you gradually progress through those, it's nearly like at the beginning, if you master those, you know, your knowledge and your skills, they can't really be taken away from you. Yeah, right? that's a good point. They remain forever. <clears throat> Whereas your network potentially mm. in time, well, you right? You say something wrong. Yeah, you say you something You say something wrong, that people disagree or, with, you lose your network. Yeah. Relationships can fluctuate. Yeah. You know, your resources, they're pretty, you know, they invest in temporary the wrong thing. as well. Yep, they can go. Yep. And then your reputation's obviously relatively fickle as well, yeah. <laughs> right? But at least if you know that you really hone in, like the real mm. controllables sit mm. probably in knowledge and skills, mm. right? And then a little bit in network and then it gradually decreases as you go through the process. So if you do start the other way, it's just potentially a more riskier approach. Well, you're starting with fickle stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. Did you make any notes around – sort of your key buckets and where you think like one of the things that I was thinking about when I was looking at that more was what are areas where I naturally gravitate to mm. in terms of knowledge, skills, network, you know, and allocation of resources. Do you have any that stood out? Yeah. I, I, I always over index on skill and knowledge. Yeah. yeah cool. And, and I think I do that and often not think about network at all. Mm-hmm. And I think I need to think about network more because for someone like in my position now, Network is very powerful. Like I just said to you before we start the podcast, I had one of my favorite comedians reach out, right, on Instagram and said, hey, let's connect. I was like, oh, that's so cool. So I think the, cool. the network now is at its peak, but I'm not really leveraging it at all with collaborations and doing things with other people. I'm not doing that at all. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where I'm not looking at all, and I'm still too focused on the first two areas. Yeah. Yeah. You are kind of friends with The Rock and Joe Rogan. So, <laughs> I don't know, like, still you're, you're networking. You know, it would be too harsh on your networking Dude, right I'm, now. I'm so crushed. <laughs> Joe invited me down to Austin and yeah. we were going to do a trip to Austin yeah. in December. And this yeah. is just to update our audience on the Joe Rogan saga. <laughs> but he, we've been DMing back and forth. And I'm flabbergasted that I, I DM him before I go to bed. <laughs> and I wake up in the morning and he's replied. And it's crazy because I, I send him a text. I'm like, hey, man. I asked my wife if I could go to Austin to do the pod, like not 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 to do the podcast. Sorry, he didn't invite me. No, 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 no. But he invited me to his club, and he goes, um, he goes, yeah, come down. I said, oh, I'm sorry. I asked my wife, and she said no, (laughs) because my wife's pregnant and she wants me at home. And he was so cool about it. He was like, yeah, prioritize your family first. You know, the club can wait. (laughs) You know, I'll still be alive next year. Don't worry. So it's cool, man. It was um, that's amazing. Just like, but 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 again, it's like I'm in that point in my career where. I'm not, I don't think about that as much as I probably should. Mm-hmm. I probably should think about that a little more to be able to leverage that network and be yeah. able to, yeah, it's so cool to even think I can rub shoulders with these people and, yeah. and, and connect with them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually don't, because I think I'm, I'm, I'm too trapped in a silo mm-hmm. mindset. Yeah. I don't know if it's as a result of me living in Adelaide, South Australia. There's not that many people I can think of to collaborate with that's close by. Or if it's a mindset that I have myself that I need to work on. I don't know if it's geographically 
a result of where I am or just kind of mindset wise? Mm, that's an interesting one. Mm, Much I don't know. Psychological deep dive into that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is. I, I think I've just spent my whole life kind of focused on a lot of skill development. I like that area. I think just from knowing you over the years, you've always sort of prioritized your friends and your family and what's kind of close to you. you know, like even that move, I think if you did a straw poll with 100 people, it'd be like if Joe Rogan invites you to their comedy club to hang out for a bit, like they would probably – potentially look at it differently, but you value, you know, your family pretty it's highly. That or I'm, just, wife, I'm just scared of pay when. <laughs> yeah. I'm just scared or of pay when's like power is just so significant there. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But I think it is also very aligned with your values. Like yeah, I'm not surprised yeah. that you'd make that call and, yeah. you know. Well, I think I'm only starting to yeah. now make calls like that in my life. I think before I used to lip service family as number one a lot, yeah. but I my actions would never align with it. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, getting older now yeah. – <clears throat> I'm trying to live in more alignment with my values. So that was just, that was an example of how I was able to, Hey, make sure those actions are aligned because dude, I was so excited about going with you. I was planning to bring the team. I was so excited about going, but then if I took that action, I'd be kind of out living in out of like, I won't be in alignment with my values. I think you've got a unique ability to park like FOMO, the fear of missing out that Mm. most people don't have, which probably does serve you in terms of staying aligned with, well, I think, I think Joe really helped with his message back to me yeah. <clears throat> because if I sent the message saying, hey, I can't – well, I, I, I phrased the message too as, hey, Joe, I know you're probably not holding your breath on the arrival of Vin Jang into Austin. Yeah. But, yeah, and yeah. his reply was so beautiful in that next year. We'll yeah. do it next year. Yeah, that's awesome. So I think that, that reduced the FOMO because yeah. if he didn't reply to me <laughs> – and it was just seen. Yeah. I think FOMO would have kicked yeah, it. Unfollow. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> then if he unfollowed it's, me, it's too, holy shit. It's over. Oh, that would be so oh, – That's oh. hilarious. No, but I love that. And then is there anything yeah. like the, the other note there is around like specific areas, right? So I had to note it down that I sort of naturally gravitate to things like, you know, business, passion-driven entrepreneurship, like a bit of spirituality, negotiation, strategy, right, as certain areas that – where I've really, I think, invested into the knowledge and the skill development. Mm, okay. Like, do you have any specific ones like that? Yeah, yeah. For for me in the last two years, I would say it's been social media, mm. learning about social media, learning how to get better at social media, learning how to build a following, learning how to monetize the following, learning how to build funnels, learning how to build landing pages, create videos and and, and content that leads people into a funnel and, and build lead generate, like all of it ads. So that has been a massive upskill of knowledge and skill in the last two years, yeah, Cool, which has been really interesting yeah. because an upgrade in that area of knowledge and skill has allowed me to scale like I've never been able to scale before. Mm. So I mean, back to that point, it's, I think wherever you are right now, I think always be conscious of always be growing your knowledge and skill base. Because like you mentioned, that stuff is, it's the strongest foundation. And as you grow that foundation, that foundation can never be taken away from you. Yeah. It's really like there's, there's a few different types of capital that we mm. have in life, right? Whereas most of the time we just think about capital as money, mm. right? Whereas there's actually probably a few different types. Like there's capital in the knowledge and the skills that we possess. Intellectual. There's capital, capital in our, the people around us, mm. right? And then there's capital in the resources that we have, which is probably our time, energy, and money. Mm. Yeah, and if you don't have that balanced sort of approach to it all, 
Because I think there's sometimes there's a lot of people that just have dormant relationship capital mm. that's sitting there, but it probably well and truly exceeds their financial net worth, mm. right? Like you can have a billion dollar network, mm. um, but you might, you know, you don't necessarily need a billion dollars in your bank account, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because well, uh, well, some people say your net worth is equivalent to your net work, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> yeah. And I think there's a lot of, yeah, truth in that. Just touching on number five, just before we leave this one, yeah. which is your reputation. Mm. How important do you think that is? I think it's pretty important, but not as important as the others. It's funny you say that because do you remember 48 Laws of Power? Yeah. In, in Robert Greene's book, 48 Laws of Power, he states that your reputation is worth more than your life. <laughs> big call. Yeah, it's a big right. call. And then for you to just nonchalantly go, eh, it's not that important. No, no. I don't know. I'll explain why. Okay. Because I think you can always reinvent yourself. So mm-hmm. say, for example, you can have a really great reputation in one area. But say if you go, if you decide, all right, next week I'm going to become an archer, okay. right? Your reputation as a keynote speaker is now relevant. Mm. So it depends on what you're trying to apply it for and how you're trying to utilize it. Right. Right. Like it, it's, and it's the reason why I said that as well is because reputation is largely based on other people's opinions, mm. which are very uncontrollable. Yeah. Right. Like you can have, sometimes some people have a perceived reputation, but the actual reality of how they operate mm. is very, very different. Mm. So it's misaligned, which again makes it very fickle. Right. So I don't know. That's where like social media is a huge example of this. Like mm. there's people out there with millions of followers. Mm that potentially don't fully align with their, you know, with what their reputation or their brand actually portrays. So if you don't have that, it makes it relatively irrelevant anyway. And we see it now. But most people that bank and put a lot of value on their reputation, it's a pretty fickle world in terms of how that reputation mm. sticks around or not. So again, I'm, I can put weight on it. Like I think it's important. I think if you've got a really good reputation, leverage it. Mm but it's more like an amplifier. Like it can be a huge amplifier. Like if you have that mm. solid reputation, it can open infinite possibilities and doors. But also if it's not there or it doesn't exist yet, I wouldn't worry too much about it either. Mm. Mm. I mean, I'm thinking about reputation from the perspective of personal branding now mm-hmm. in the world that exists yep. online. Everyone's got a personal brand. Yep. You know, I think even if – the smallest personal brand to the largest personal yeah. brands being like The Rock, for example, right? Massive personal brand. And look how big his personal brand is to the point where he's able to collaborate with brands almost with my little knowledge of his yeah. kind of business structure. But it seems that he has equity stakes in certain companies purely because of the reputation he has in the world. Yeah. And when I look at it from that point of view, that's pretty crazy. Like mm. you said, that cricketer, right? Mm. That cricketer that represents Fujitsu, yeah. the air conditioning yeah. brand. He obviously created a very strong reputation in the cricket What? No idea who he is, by the way. <laughs> but he, he has a reputation that's strong enough for a brand to want to associate with that. Yep. So I think that's mm. kind of the same as in, in the world of you building your personal brand and your reputation. If you get it to a really good point, mm. that then is going to allow – it's going to open doors. Yep. Whereas if you didn't have those – it's true. You know, opportunities. It wouldn't be able to, yeah, wouldn't be able to open those doors. For so sure. building it is kind of cool. Yeah, for sure. I think a hundred percent, if you've got it, you'd want to protect it. Yeah. And you'd want to utilize it to its maximum potential. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Like, but, but also know that, that that reputation game is a game that only unlocks much later yep. in the journey. Yeah. 
right? It, it, it's not something you get in the first four to five years of your journey. No. No. It's like that cricketer. He probably had to play his whole career a certain way, be fair, be noble, be humble to be able to be associated with certain brands. And to leverage it at those levels, like when you're talking about examples like The Rock. Yeah. You know, Who's that cricketer like, again? Like Mark Taylor is Mark the cricketer. Taylor, yeah. like, these are arguably the people that are mm. in the top three to five in well, their space. Well, Roger Federer right. and Rolex, yeah. for example. Yeah. Right? So I think, look, I think if you do the first four steps really well consistently for extended periods of time, then you'll better unlock the reputation game, That's right. which, I, which I think is a crazy cool game to be able to play. And you can unlock reputation on smaller scales too, right? Yeah. Like you can be the person in your friendship group that has a mm. reputation for also, always being reliable, you know, being trustworthy, being mm. respectful, having integrity, right? There's different layers and levels to this. Mm. But when I just keep thinking about the word reputation, I think it's just that collective of how you operate yep. and whether that sort of aligns with also how the external world perceives you. Mm. Right? Is it somewhat in mm. in harmony and alignment? True. Right? And then can you leverage it to the best of your ability? It might be leveraging it in the workplace, hey. leveraging it at home, leveraging it like The Rock does. Yep. There's so many different ways. Here's a cool, here's a cool exercise. Mm-hmm. What do you think people would describe you as in three words? Jeez. Your friends. Oh, this three is- words. <laughs> three words. And then I'll do it too. I'll do it too. But, but this is a quick check-in on what your current reputation is. Because yeah. let's say you're not happy with your reputation mm. – and you're not happy with it, then what you can do is you can go back and improve steps one through four, which will then change your reputation. Yep. So I want three good things people would say about you, Ali, oh. and then three bad Jeez, this things. Gets even, I want three bad things too because I want, I want you to execute some oh. self-awareness here. All right, let's jam Three on good it. and then three bad. And then I'll, I'll do the same. Let's try. All right, I think one is – is this good or bad? Is this good or bad? This is good. This is good. Three we'll, good we'll start with good. We'll start with the good. All right. <laughs> and we'll make it a real true shit yeah. sandwich that ends with the shit yeah. at the back. <laughs> so I'd say one of the good ones is yeah. I think a lot of people close to me in my life, they come to me if they have a pretty serious problem okay. or an issue. So if there's something pretty significant, um, yeah, the person that – Problem solver. Yeah, a bit of a problem solver, mm-hmm. strategist. Mm-hmm. It's like how do you then – combine this situation that might be a bit complex and then figure out a path forward. So one's probably around strategy. Okay. Uh, I'd say another one is there's something maybe around like maximizing potential mm-hmm. and belief. So a lot of the time people might be weighing up multiple decisions around like, do I go down this path? Do I go down this path? Do I have mm. the skills and capability to achieve this or this outcome? Like, I think for a, a lot of people definitely that I'm close to in my life, I love trying to see what their their maximum potential is mm. in terms of who they are as an individual yep. and providing a pretty non, like non-judgmental and safe space for that. Um, I think the third one's probably that, I don't know if this one's good or bad, but I'm pretty weird. Like I'm <laughs> <laughs> relatively out there in the way that, that I operate. Like a lot of the decisions and what I go and do and how I, you know, go on little mini adventures by myself and, you know, like I'll go missing. So, so more uh, unique. We'll make more it more unique. You're, you're, yeah, yeah. You, you live unique, a unique uh, lifestyle. Go missing for a while. Yeah. Like, definitely a lot of people in my life call me like the enigma where it's yeah. like, yeah, where, where is he? Like how do you, you know. Well, well to give a little bit of context <laughs> to our listeners, Ali goes on three to four trips a year where he goes by himself <laughs> without his wife and kids where he just goes away by himself. 
and he doesn't have anyone else on those trips and he'll go to restaurants by himself. He was recently in one of the best restaurants in the world. In, in, was it in Europe? That one, yeah, Europe and Dubai. Yeah, Europe, Europe and Dubai places. by himself and he sends me a picture. And you're like, bro, best night of my life. <laughs> Sat and ate yummy food by himself. And I just thought that was the saddest picture oh, I've ever so seen good. in my life so where there's an empty seat in front of you Dude. and one plate. I'm like, oh man. Is he okay? That was the worst too because I think they thought that I was some like food reviewer or something. So oh. I got put right in the center. So everyone's there like as groups and yeah, as couples yeah, yeah. and on anniversaries and stuff. And I'm like sitting in the middle with like this spotlight. With a notepad. Yeah, pretty much have like a journal just to – and your phone's in while I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. experiencing it. But yeah, I think okay. yeah, I like wandering are- around and doing some random things. So – Okay, those are three positive yeah. things. What are three negative things you think oh, when people think of Ali Tarai? I think the negative ones would be sometimes probably around like consistency, like especially as like mm. a friend is like I'm not usually just a day-to-day person. Mm. I often don't reply to things and, yeah. you know, I'm a little bit a little bit flaky on that side. Okay. So like I'll kind of filter to the, the real high-impact stuff, but I'm yep. probably not the best on a day-to-day basis. Okay. I'd, so not reliable. <laughs> no, not conventionally reliable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Like eighty twenty rule, yeah. reliable. Hey, you're like but- a, you're like a supercar. <laughs> like you're like a supercar. This weekend, yeah, just just a re- weekend ride. Really yeah. great for like the track. <laughs> That's really high performance on the important stuff. But then, yeah, as an yeah, everyday no, driver, the, not, the not little so stuff can definitely yeah, through, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So, okay. so probably as a partner, sometimes I'm a bit questionable. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Chantel would that, definitely agree with that yeah, one. Just I that, that consistency <laughs> and reliability would be one. Okay. Um, Second bad one. Say focus, like I can really mm. run and go down rabbit holes, and rather than just focusing, you know, on the the one thing I love having multiple things in play. I've probably gotten better at that over the years, but that's always been one where okay. you know just a lot of half half finished projects, okay, right? That sit there at about eighty percent done. Final one, oh, final one, jeez, the final wow. one. <laughs> sit in front of a man who struggles to think of just three bad is, things about no, himself. No, this is, wow, this you're, is pretty, a, you're a pretty elite this human. Is, this is really <laughs> cognitively challenging to think of three good, three bad. Is um, it really? Wow, you're such a perfect man. No, not perfect wow. at all. Very. There's just too many for this third <laughs> position that are just coming up and bubbling all of the. No, I think you're uh, actually struggling <laughs> to think of a third bad one. Why don't you think of my third bad one? <laughs> no, this is a self-analysis, <laughs> no. brother. Right. My third bad one would yeah. be... I would say sometimes maybe judgmental, mm. right? Like overly, overly analytical and judgmental. I can mm. sit there and really think about things and, you know, maybe ha- like have a habit to paint a story that doesn't quite exist in that moment and over sort of think it. Yeah. So that can result to, you know, some conflicts and stuff like that. But again, one that's a work in progress. Okay. Cool. Do Yours? you want to, well, do you want to change any of those? Not yet. I'll loop back around if I can do yours. <laughs> oh, wow. I love yeah, it. I love a little break. Happy with yeah. your strengths. I'll, go, with your I'll stick with those for now. Yeah, yeah, and okay. then, yeah. And then we can sort of we'll, – we'll realign and then okay. see whether we got each other's accurate sure. or what we know of each other. I think my friends, if I asked them about me, the three positive things, the first one would be that I'm generous. Yeah. Uh, I think the second thing they'd say about me is that I am spontaneous – and I'll add to that one as well, you know, fun. I really value fun. And I think the third thing they'll say about me is I, I'm someone who really values mastery and, and really values high quality. Mm-hmm. So I think they'll say those three things about me, kind of positive. 
I did mine way faster than yours. It was really good. Yeah, yeah it was much faster. Yeah, you had 10 minutes to think about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, no, I didn't. No, I was listening to you. So you're taking I was notes. listening to you. I wasn't <laughs> taking notes. This was pre-prepared. You and Craig discussed this prior to it. So uh, let's ambush Ali as soon as he gets here. to come up with three bad things. <laughs> okay, so, so then I think the bad <laughs> Yours was actually pretty good. Like, <laughs> wish, wish I went with your three. <laughs> <laughs> I think the bad things they'd say about me is they'd say uh, no balance. The first thing is he doesn't have balance. He, he, uh, he Once he gets obsessed about something, he will go all in at all costs. <laughs> and I think the most recent example of that is, like I've just been going so hard the last few months that I, I lost my voice. And I've never lost my voice before. So first I lost my voice and then I just got tragically sick. <sighs> and then Pewen sent me this picture of a woman that just gave birth. And then the meme on it said something like this. It said, um, only a woman who's given birth to a child can truly understand what a man feels like when he has the flu. <laughs> and she freaking sent me that while I lost my voice and felt really shitty about myself. Yeah, no. I was like, oh, gee, thanks, wife. Yeah. I love it. She always gives me the cup of cement to harden the F up, mm, right? That's why I didn't go see Joe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, and, I, and at the same time, I, I denied going to Austin as well. I was like, why don't you love me? Yeah. Anyway, so I think the first thing is uh, I just go too hard and I go all in. So I think a lack of balance. I think the second thing that's probably bad about me is I would say he doesn't prioritize his health. I know that's kind of connected to the last one, but I think that's another one. Yeah. Just cheating, just sort of going at number one. We'll call it one yeah, A. Yeah, 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 that's fine. Yeah, right, no, we fine. won't go. Fine. We won't go with two. No, you're... actually, it's actually hard thinking yeah. about the, the negative stuff. <laughs> you got to one. I gave you, you shit get, too early. <laughs> I gave you shit too early. But you want to just stop now? It's like yeah, I got to one. It's like I just I'm too. That was like nearly at a job interview where you're like, yeah. I nearly go too hard. Nah, at I being, I got I go Shut too up, hard man. at being amazing at things that I get sick. Like I'm so good at mastery and like being successful <laughs> that I actually get ill oh, from that's it. The worst. <laughs> that's actually the worst one, isn't yeah. it? Oh. And then I'm a bit unhealthy because of it. <laughs> All right, second one. <laughs> second one is I'm not present. I live in the future a lot. And I was just chatting to Pay Winner about this last night. I'm like, oh, my head, I'm always stuck in the future. So just even yesterday was an example of being like, just got back from a holiday of being present. It's like I was present for three days straight because like we were away. And then when I came back, I spent the whole day living in the future because I was like, must. <laughs> Was create balance again. <laughs> Spent three days being yeah. present. I'm eight months behind. Yeah, I'm eight months behind. So all I did was sit there with my journal, writing stuff about the future, and I just and if it was actually I don't know, it felt really awful. Yeah. Yeah. Just, it, but it was an example of why I think that's a problem for me. Yeah. So that the second one is too future focused, and third um, one again, not really weakness, but that's fine. Really? Okay. Like, okay. like planning. All yeah, right. I'm just going to keep giving you shit on this. Like, <laughs> like making awesome plans for the future. <laughs> Bro, it's just the it's way not- you're looking at it. It's not negative. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just going to stay spade right now. Listen. One is I'm really I good think- at things. <laughs> One of my weaknesses is I'm awesome. And then you're the other is I plan. It. I plan you're really well. You're wrong. Yeah, okay. The first yeah. one is too obsessive. <laughs> Right, and mm-hmm. I think I think I'm thinking about it from the try perspective. too hard. Just try too hard. Yeah. I'm thinking about <laughs> it from the perspective of being married to this person. Yeah. yeah. So if you were married to someone who's really obsessive about mm-hmm. their work, it's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. And if you were married to someone who's not present, yeah. it's not a good thing mm-hmm. because it just never feels like they're there. It is negative. Yeah, sure. Yep. It is yeah. negative. No, no, it's cool. 
I, and I, I wonder why I'm thinking about it so much from Paywen's point of view, but that is mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, the final thing, if I, instead of went just what my friends would say, but I would say is more community, like the greater mm-hmm. out there people would say, is, yeah, I'm trying to get a different perspective. <laughs> this is really hard. I love how much shit you gave me. Yeah, I gave you a lot of shit. I love before. how quick you were on your three good ones too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was, I was. I, I know exactly why I'm really good. <laughs> Craig's like, I've got 10. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote a book. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> I would. You're going to give me shit about this one too. Oh, sure You're going to give am. me shit about this one too. I know I will. I, I, don't, I don't make enough time for myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I, I think, yeah, that's what, that's what I think. It's so good to other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I prioritise myself last generally. Just, just to the world and to yeah. everyone around you. <laughs> I'm going to get the Mr. Universe. I'm going to get the Mr. Universe award with this, with this, uh, with these three weaknesses. Yeah, they, I would oh, probably man. have taken all three as my strengths, yeah. to be honest. Oh, <laughs> oh. That was a well, great exercise. That, that felt really embarrassing. <laughs> that was a great. That I'm really, really glad. I'm really glad you put us both through that. Oh, yeah, my pleasure, bro. My out. pleasure. Jeez, oh. like, I'd invite all hate comments to yeah, both of yeah, us. Wow. To oh, all to both really, of us, we deserve it. We accept really... it. We um, we understand that. Oh, jeez, oh, I can't ever remember mine anymore. Like yours mine just blew my mind. Do we think we're accurate? Oh. Well, look, the whole point of why I brought this up <laughs> mm. is I, I think asking yourself these questions and then asking other people what they would be too would be a really cool exercise. Yeah. And then check in what, what your perception of your reputation is and then check in what how other people perceive your reputation to be. Check for alignment. And if it's something you don't want, then just realize that you can go through steps one and four to be able to rebuild a new reputation if you want to, mm-hmm. if you want to. Yep. Right. Because when I, th- the reason why, if we take the jokes out of mine, but it's like, I, I looked at someone like one of my best mates, Lenny, mm-hmm. Lenny's an extremely present person. And he has that reputation is that no matter when I'm spending time with him, he's so present. And that's such a cool reputation to have when I'm with Matthew, he's so present. And I love that you, you're so present. So he's just looking at myself. I'm like, wow, half the time I'm on my phone. Half the time I'm thinking about stuff. I'm not always present. Like you could be talking to me and I'm thinking about something else. That's not necessarily a good thing. So I think that's something I would want to fix. So then what knowledge would I need to build on that? Okay. I need to read the power of now again. Right. You know, what, what skill do I need to practice? Well, I need to practice active listening again, Mm -hmm. get better at active listening, continually sharpening that ax, being more present when I'm talking to people. And, and, and to me, that's how I would ultimately fix the reputation of not being present. So I think, I think every now and then doing a routine check on that yep. and not having friends who tease you about your weaknesses. No, that's rough. You know, yeah, that was, that was definitely want to upgrade, dude, your, I'm, I'm definitely wanna up, upgrade your network yeah, on wow. that one. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for that bashing while I'm down. That, felt, that no, was really refreshing. I think it's great. And just adding on to that is we've done this exercise a couple of times before mm. where we go and message a few people. I know we've yeah, done we that have. over the years where yeah. Yeah, it's like, what are these things? And generally, you know, the, they're pretty aligned or you learn something mm. where it's like, oh, I actually perceive myself like this, but I'm not really like that. Yeah. And 
Yeah, it's it's a really cool reflection exercise, especially when you can get validated by people really close to you. And look, I'm obviously just taking the piss out of you there, but yours are pretty accurate. They were great, that list, and I think it is solid. Well, it's, it's also knowing you can change it. Mm-hmm. If you don't like it, you can change it. And you can change it by just going, like I did that simple example, I'm not present, read the power of now again, yeah. learn to be more present, and then the skill that I need to develop, one of the skills is active listening, yeah. right? So, so again, and one of the other skills I can build in more is more meditation. Guess what? Haven't done any of it, right? Makes me less, and, less present. And I find these things fluctuate a little bit too. They mm. don't really stay stagnant. You know, well, there, nothing, there's times nothing, where- Nothing is stagnant. Yeah. Everything is always in fluctuation. It, yeah, I think it was Eckhart Tolle that says this all the time. It's like too much of anything will, will take you out of balance. Mm. Like focus on your health too much, you'll probably get injured. Don't focus on it enough, you'll get sick. Yeah. Right? So there's always finding that balance in it. You focus too much on being present in the moment, you might not get anything done. Mm. Right? You focus too much on the past, you'll miss out in the future. Right? Like, so there's all these, there's generally a duality mm. in most things, mm. especially when we're operating in the external world. Right? Like, there's never something that's just fixated that this is good, bad, you know? Yeah. Um, a, a tragedy or a success. Like, like you can't like a lot of these things. Even when you're measuring them, they're really hard to objectively measure. Mm. It's just finding a a range of comfort and then being, I think, aware where you do have to make those adjustments. Like you said. Mm. All right, cool. On to the next law. On what was next. your first one that you picked? Two. <laughs> yeah. Really? Okay. I picked two, which was, but I think we've already spoken about skills a lot. But it was just we'll just do this one really quickly. Number two is um, to master, you must teach. Mm. Right, and, and the reason why I picked that one is just knowing you and how you operate as well, just to jam on it a little bit around just the importance of when you do master, like, you know, just using the concept that when you do master a skill, mm-hmm. the most effective way to nearly advance that skill set is to start teaching it to other people. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think you've done this really, really well. And yeah, it was just sort of seeing whether you had any thoughts on how you approach that, how you take something from mastering a skill to then also converting it into a teachable lesson. Well, I think the reason why teaching helps you master is because the act of teaching requires you to develop the skill of distillation. Mm-hmm. And through distilling something, which I think, in other words, is making it simpler. So usually you absorb something complex and then teaching requires you to distill it from complex to simple. And the process of going from complex to simple is what creates mastery. Mm-hmm. So that, that that's that's the way I think about it. I go, oh, okay, so – that's why teaching does that. All right, well, if I want to get better at archery, for example, I should teach someone because in teaching it, I'm simplifying the complexity in it for myself because you, you can never – It's weird, it feels weird to say, but you don't normally master complexity. You have to distill complexity to simplicity and then, then you're able to master it. Yeah, so, so it's it, – otherwise, if you absorb anything as complex and you're trying to master it from that position, it generally doesn't happen. I love that. The book also has a little bit of an example where it talks about the Feynman technique, which is Richard Feynman. He was a physicist back in the day. He's got a couple of really amazing books as well that are worth Googling and checking out. Mm-hmm. But he just says, yeah, step one, first you must learn, you must identify the topic you want to understand, research it thoroughly and grasp it from every direction. Mm. And then step two, teach it to a child, right? Secondly, you should write the idea down as if you were teaching it to a child. Use simple words, fewer words and simple concepts. Step three, share it. Convey your idea to others, post it online, post it in a blog, share it on the stage or even at a dinner table. And then step four, review, review, uh, review the feedback. 
did people understand the concept from your explanation? Here's a pyramid that I follow. Mm. And it comes from a table which is known as the knowledge of retention rates. Mm. So, and I think retention is a component of mastery too. How much you remember with what you're learning. So if you just listen to something, you retain 5% of it. Mm. If you read it, you retain double that. So you retain about 10% of it. Then if you get both, you listen and you read it, then you retain about 20% of it, which I know that's what you normally do with audiobooks and books. You, you read and then you listen to it or you listen to it and you read it. That's where most people will stop. The next part is demonstration, which is the teaching component. Then if you teach it, you'll retain about 30% of it. Then what I love about what we do in the podcast is we discuss it. So then if you discuss what you've learned, you retain 50% of it. The next, if you practice by doing and now if you apply the knowledge, now you're retaining 75% of it. And then the last one is now if you take that skill set and then you go and you teach somebody else, then that, that's when you retain about 90 plus percent of it. Shit, my brain must be broken because I'm still only retaining like 5% of the stuff that we do. <laughs> yeah, but, but I mean, I think you're retaining a lot more no, than you joking. give yourself credit for. I'm joking. But, it, but it's even retain the way you read and you listen, I think you're retaining yeah, no. quite a bit. No, that's cool. And even though you take notes, you're retaining yeah. more as well. But it's interesting because that, that's, the, that's kind of that pyramid. Mm, I love that. Yeah. That's such a cool way of conceptualizing it. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, that's how I kind mm. of think about mastery as well. Awesome. Is, and another way that helps me master something is, and this is knowledge, mainly knowledge, is when I think about metaphors that wrap that lesson. Now, I tend to do that a lot. Oh, love that. Yeah, so, so if, if you're learning something new, instead of just learning it as isolated pieces of information, see if you can wrap those pieces of information into a metaphor. And that helps with retention. I think that also helps with mastery of that, that piece of knowledge. That's definitely a lesson I've learned from you. Like I find myself even nowadays in meetings and stuff, just always using analogies and metaphors, metaphors yeah, so yeah, much yeah, more. Yeah. Whereas a few years ago, I think it's a way more like effective one a year and like even yeah. just jamming on them. Like sometimes you're live and I'm like, this analogy makes no sense at all, but we'll still run with it. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's more effective than zero sometimes. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Okay. It's a cool tip. All right. Next uh, one. Back to me. Yeah. Love it. All right. Law seven. Mm. Never compromise your self story. Mm. I really like this one. Mm, and, this and is good. This is up there. Well, your self. Did you pick this one too? Didn't pick it. Okay, it was okay. up there. Okay. So your self story is the story you tell yourself about who you are. Mm-hmm. And I find that our self stories are generally made up of a few signature stories in our lives. It's like your signature story being the person that paid 200 bucks for Facebook ads, created a whole passion business based out of a single idea. Mm-hmm. The story of my, my signature, one of my signature stories is how I told my parents I wanted to leave accounting and become a magician, mm-hmm. for example. The book is saying these signature stories that we tell ourselves over and over and over again, they create the futures that we currently are living out. And if we want better self stories, then it means that we, we there's a process that we can go through. So I'll, I'll walk through the process. Yeah. So a self, first of all, your current and existing self stories will create certain, certain thoughts and feelings. Once you have the certain thoughts and feelings, that will then lead to actions. Once you take those actions, that now creates a bit of evidence that either creates a new self story or keeps the existing self story going in a loop, right? So say, for example, I said, you know, I told my parents I want to quit accounting. As a result of that kind of courageous story, 
it leads me to feeling more courageous, feeling like I'm someone who walks the path less walked. Then that cr- leads me to taking more courageous actions, like becoming a keynote speaker out of nowhere with no real credibility, which then leads to more evidence that, wow, I was able to achieve it. And I went to the US and I built that. Then it feeds that story even more. And then it just becomes this crazy thing, right? Mm. Whereas I think some self stories are negative. And instead of spiraling outwards and creating lots of impact, they spiral inward and downward. So if you're starting to tell yourself the self story that, oh, I'm not worthy, I'm not smart enough, I'm not good enough, then that creates certain thoughts and feelings, leads to actions. I'm not going to try new things. I'm going to do what's safe. And then that creates a new bank of evidence. I'm someone who's safe. I'm someone who's not courageous. I'm someone who never does anything new. And it just keeps repeating. That's cool. It's like, well, are you creating a positive story loop? Or are you creating yeah. a negative spiral? There you yeah. go. I like to see, yeah. I love that, that analogy of the loop, right? So is it a positive <laughs> loop or a negative loop? So I think this is a really valuable chapter if you're currently experiencing a negative loop. So if you've, if you've, if you've got negative stories currently and they're spiraling out of control, you have to know that you have power to create a new story. You just have to create new pieces of evidence that back up a new story. Yeah, just as you say that, this I think the reason why we struggled earlier to really mention those three negatives a bit more mm. is- We tell ourselves really, really positive stories. I think we do. I think we're inbuilt and we've been programmed yeah. and it's probably yeah, just actually, based on- maybe our childhoods and the fact that like we've had a lot of negative things happen to us. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. But maybe one of the things that we've always tried to do in our own sort of separate lives is we always try to find the silver lining and the positives in things. Mm. You know, and I think I've just noticed that over the last few years that that's just maybe something that's very innate in our DNA. Yeah. And there's potentially some, yeah, there's something in that because if you're putting a lot of time and energy mm-hmm. into these negative stories that aren't potentially going to nourish you or fulfill you, mm-hmm. but they, they really are. They become a weight that you're carrying around with you, right? Like that story. And you nearly have to feed it mm. the same amount as you would a positive story. So it's how do we then transform those, right? And I think that's just where we naturally gravitate to, all oh, right, this, this shit thing's happened to us. How do we actually use that as part of our story to turn it and infuse it with some light or positivity or learning, you know, from that failure or whatever it was? Did you ever tell yourself any negative stories? Yeah, I'm sure I do. Like, and do you remember any of them? Yeah, I think uh, especially when I was younger, mm. you know, always probably had a deep down belief that the way that I grew up was going to dictate a pretty considerable part of my life. Mm. You know, because we didn't have much, didn't have a big family, didn't have, you know, like it was pretty rough childhood. So there was probably a point, especially up until when I was 15, 16, where I'm like, oh, well, this is just what I've been given and, you know, who knows how this is all going to play out and Mm. I don't really have much control or influence over this. I'm just going to have to ride the wave here. It was hard. I think it's hard when you have a lot of negative things happen to you Mm. to actually see the light at the end of the tunnel sometimes, Mm. right, until you start – watching like, like I started watching a lot of movies about underdogs and, you know, it started, you start associating with people that have sort of overcome challenges. And then you start getting more of that evidence, right? Like it's not even internal evidence. It's like, oh, okay, well, this person came from a pretty similar situation that I did. And then they were able to kind of overcome their, their challenges and move forward. And there was a lot of really key moments like that 
when I was growing up. Like I remember one where there was an old footballer, Australian rules footballer, and his name was Jim Steins. And he came and spoke to our school when we were in year 10. And, you know, I was sitting there just mucking around in class and, you know, like trying to take the piss and not really letting him do his speech. Oh, wow. And then one of my one of my moves was I put my hat over my head and started acting like I was snoring, right? And this guy's like six foot nine, six foot ten. And he oh, walks wow. over and he just slaps the hat like straight off my head. He's like, oi, and he's like big Irish accent. Wow. And he's like, he's like, you're either gonna remain a fuckwit your entire life or you're gonna become a leader because you obviously have the courage to do he a move said like that. that. To you. Yeah. Or you're going to like, or you have an opportunity to start changing your life and you can actually turn it around. Like, do you actually want to be this person that does this type of shit? Or do you actually want to like, you know, change your life and use that courage or that humor or whatever it is that you try that reaction that you're trying to get for something positive. And it was like the most profound call out ever. Like I just got up, put the hat back on and listened to every single word that he said. And yeah, it was like a real big pivotal moment, but that was one of the, and then he shared all these stories about just other kids that were like me at that point that had overcome it. And he'd worked with a lot of kids like that. And that was just a really big sort of pivotal moment. Right. Wow. And it starts giving you, so it's not only what we do and, how we operate, but I think it's also what type of information are we nourishing ourselves with, right? Like if you're reading books that give you a pathway to that, that's again, it's positive Mm. reinforcement. Even if you don't act it out yet, it's planting the seeds of what that pathway looks like. That's a really cool addition to this formula then because this formula says that when you take certain actions, those actions become pieces of evidence and then that evidence then makes up your self story. Mm -hmm. But what you're saying is it's not just your own actions that create evidence you could also look for inspiration that also helps you fuel your self-story. Yeah. That's really cool. Absolutely. And I think we see it like even in recent times, like books like Can't Hurt Me, Mm. for example, even though we might not all agree with David Goggins' approach, Mm. but I think for a lot of people that gives people the inspiration, you know, or like, oh, all right, well, maybe I can wake up at at least seven o'clock and go for a jog. Mm. Yeah. Because there's these examples that are set. And I think as humans – we often do need to see something to start believing it as well. Yeah. Right. So again, it goes back to, it's not only your own actions, but then how you're leveraging knowledge, yeah. how you're developing that skill, um, how you're leveraging the people around you and the network as well. I think you always speak about this, like the people that you surround yourself with will often just rub off on you and you become the average of them. Mm. Right. Well, well, what you're saying there is that the people around you also contribute to your self story as well. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I love what Alex Hermosi says, where he says, if you want to become someone different, build an undeniable stack of evidence behind you that you are that person. Mm-hmm. So, so again, just going back to making it really pragmatic for people, if, if you're not happy with the current story that you're telling yourself, know that the current story you're telling yourself, there's a lot of evidence that you're currently creating through your actions every day that's keeping that self story true. You can break that self story by creating a new bed of evidence, right? Cause say for example, you, you think you're not, you're not capable, you're not strong, you're not courageous or whatever. You can take little small steps and do things that are courageous, small steps. And it builds the evidence that you are courageous. So, so you can change that self story, but it was interesting hearing those negative stories that you used to tell yourself. Mm. Mm. Where are you? I think a, I think a really big negative story I used to tell myself when I was young is that you're not worthy of true friends. Mm. I think I think one of the reasons my one of my biggest oh, 
one of my biggest values is connection. Kind of, this is my own therapy session right yeah, now. Yeah. One of the reasons why I value you, Craig, my family, my friends, everyone in my network so much, and I, I over-index on connection, is because I didn't have much of it when I was young because I moved schools so often. And as a result of moving schools nearly every year, you don't really have deep friendships. And I would always tell myself the story is that, oh, you, you, you know, no one wants to be your friend. You know, you're not valuable in a friendship. And then I would tell myself that story. And as a result of telling myself that story, I would feel unworthy. I would think that I'm not worthy. And then that would lead me to the actions that I wasn't taking was I wouldn't try to make new friends because those thoughts in my head is already, well, what's the point? No one wants to be my friend anyway. And then what does that do? It creates even more evidence that no one's going to find me valuable as a friend. And then that kept me on my own for a very long time. And I think that's why you still see some of those traits in me, bro, where when I work sometimes, I work alone. Like you see me go off and do things myself. It, it's, it, it's, it's because of some yeah. of that self story still there. Yeah. Oh, it, yeah. Just, it just reminded me of one of my stories as mm. well where, that I always tell myself is that, <clears throat> you know, you're in this alone. Like you're in this alone and that like oh, people wow. are like going to, you know, that the world's out there to, f- to fuck you, you up. Right. Mm. Like that was a very common story. I think, especially when you come from a mm. really tough upbringing, that took me years to sort of break through. And I think it still exists a little bit, but yeah. yeah like before I met, you know, before having kids and meeting yeah. Chantel and, you know, meeting my group of mates and, you know, yourself, like that was a story that was always so right that at any point it was always just being kind of, I uh, just better detach myself a little bit mm. here, you know, because at some point this is going to go pear shaped. Yeah. And yeah. We'll yeah. be back alone. And I think that was, yeah. Very. Wow. That's a common one. We both have. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> that's why we came together. Yeah. That's why hey. we came together. Yeah. <laughs> now we were pear. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Two, two losers. Yeah. yeah. Two losers came together yeah. and made, a, yeah. made, made half a loser, <laughs> made half a good person. <laughs> Oh that's man! Hilarious. No, but that's. I think it's. Yeah. It's. Uh, it, well, well, they did this really interesting piece of research in this chapter that I wanted to highlight too, mm. right? That they, they did this in the Merka Buana University, mm. where they found that self story is almost forty percent of what makes up a student's what makes a student mentally tough. Yeah. So forty percent of your self story is what makes you mentally tough, right? The other sixty percent of what makes you mentally tough is dependent on family, dependent on your actual abilities, dependent on community factors. But 40% of what makes you resilient is your self story. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So, so that means for, for those who are not resilient, who encounter a situation, then immediately just kind of crumble that the reason 40%, 40 of why you just crumble very quickly is because you're not telling yourself a strong enough self-story. So all you've got to do there is create lots of evidence that you are resilient, you know, and that may be simple things. It may be just have a 30 second cold shower in the morning, right? It could just be uh, jump on the exercise bike and go 15 minutes and, and, and endure that difficult time. But as you build that bank of evidence that you are resilient, when tough times do happen, you're about to get through it with a little more ease. That's the controllable. And I thought, wow, that was a really interesting study that 40% of what makes us mentally resilient comes from the self-story. 
the other bit. When I didn't you, think it was going to be so high. Well, we spoke about some of the negative self stories that we had, mm. but I think the other part that's really powerful here is the surrounding yourself ones? with champions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. Like I think yeah. most most people that do have a really high level of self belief, <laughs> mm. they usually have a few people in their corner that just believe in them. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like for me, it was growing up, even though I had a relatively you know, tough childhood. Yeah. My mum's like belief mm. in me and like the confidence that she filled me in with was mm. always like unmovable. Like there was nothing I could do where she's like, oh, that, you know, that's not great. You know, it's mm. like, it's like, it's like, oh, look, mum, today I found a rock. It's like, oh my God, like that's the best thing that's ever happened. Wow. Yeah. Like she just always like, my mum would never reward that. <laughs> that's the dumbest example. My mum would yeah, never no, reward no, that. My mum rewarded everything. <laughs> really? Every small thing. Like it was just like full oh, confidence. That's beautiful. And, yeah. Like she's like, look, it doesn't matter how things are playing out. You'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. And it was always wow. just reinforced mm. that even though there wasn't much external evidence there, there mm. was this underlying like belief that was kicking around. And I think even just later on in life, like, I can always think about people that just had that level of confidence and it just becomes such a nourishing fuel source. Mm. So just the importance around like, like try not to surround yourself with people that also reinforce your negative stories. Try to make sure that you've got an element there where people are nourishing you with that positive self story as well. Mm. And, and, and also you can write new stories. Mm. If you take bold actions, you can write some new stories. You can write some new stories. But I, I really – I think that's one of your superpowers too, Ali, is not only do you try to yourself see what everyone's maximum ability or potential is, I think you always speak to unrealized potential that people have. You always – you don't see people where they are at. You see where they could be and you speak to where they could be and you speak to that part of them, which makes them feel really inspired. I think that's what you do for me a lot. Yeah, because you're like, again, when I list my three negative things, I genuinely see them as negative, but the whole time you are laughing because you see them as positives, but I genuinely saw them as negatives is that I, th- I think you're, you're a very positive person and, and your lens on things are always really positive. Yeah. It's like, even when I got sick, it's like, hey man, it's a great opportunity to, to rest and rejuvenate. I was like, this is the worst time of my life. There's nothing good about this. Always but for you, it was it was great. No, they, I think the, that's definitely like, there's truth in that. Like I just really always struggle to see any yeah, situation yeah. objectively as bad. Yeah. Like that's it's one always of your superpowers, bro. it's like yeah, it's just tough, and it's yeah. probably a, that's probably one of my weaknesses. It's annoying for people mm. because no, it's I, not. I'm it's that not. person. Like yeah. they're like, dude, I just want to just wallow in this for a second. I'm like, yeah, that's great, you do that. Well, but well, right now, while I'm here, ninety nine percent of people <laughs> will wallow with you. Yeah, I think there's just that one percent yeah. where they they don't do that at yeah. all. And I think you're definitely one of them. So, so don't stop. That's oh, great. Oh, we'll keep that going. That's great. Oh, thanks, bro. Well, self-story. Mm. So to sum this law up, mm. I think really try to build awareness on what current stories about you you're telling yourself. What are those two to three origin stories that you keep going back to? And if you're going back to origin stories that don't serve you, then create new stories no. by taking a series of new actions that will lead to a new bank of evidence that suggests you've become someone different. Mm. I say that. Love it. Okay. Back the balls in your court, mate. All right. What's the next law from you? So now we go into, it's probably the second section where he's actually, he calls it the story, pillar mm-hmm. two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this one really, it actually becomes more of a marketing guidebook, I think, okay. uh, in this part of it. Yeah, right? good context. So, so the one that, I picked out of here was absurdity. Mm, I like this one. Was this when he talked about the big blue slide? Talking about the big blue slide. Yeah, describe it a bit. Describe and it a bit. Yeah, so when he started his marketing agency or in his company, 
they raised investment. They got all the money and one of the moves, one of the first moves that he put in was getting a big blue slide with like a jumping ball pit yeah. inside the office. It cost like 20,000 pounds. Yeah. Something, or something like, yeah, like that. Yeah. Around that mark. And they're like, there's no real reason why they should have done it. They yeah. should have used the money more sensibly and all of that. But that became one of the biggest things that got the media attention, got them free marketing exposure, got them all these things. And everyone would come in, journalists would come in, want to take photos off the big blue slide. And, yeah. and that's really what it stood for. And, and I think this one for me was just as a note, just in terms of like business and other aspects of life mm. is like factor in a couple of things that are just absurd. Like it's often really easy to just get very logical with moves, mm. right? Like life's serious. I've got to make responsible decisions. Like it doesn't have to be just in business. This can be in career. It can be in personalized, but like the note that I made was just factor in a few percent or like some sort of bandwidth here for something that's really absurd. Mm. And then also encourage those around me to also list out something that's absurd mm. and find that. And the reason behind this is that absurdity is usually a very fun representation and collective of our values mm. and what we stand for. Right. So the blue slide, it wasn't really about the blue slide. Because the they barely even used it in the, the end. They didn't even use it, right? Yeah. But it was a symbol. It was a symbol that this is a fun, innovative, disruptive company. Yeah. Right? So find, find your version of the blue slide. The other example there is Tesla, right? So Tesla spend no money on marketing, but then they have like fart cushions in their car. Yeah. They have turning the, you know, the road into a rainbow. They have- Make the car dance. Yeah, make the car dance, yeah. right? Like all these things that kind of infuse their personality mm. into the vehicle that gets people talking about it. Right? So this can also be linked to your reputation. Right? And this one got me thinking about some of the things that you've done in your past, right? Like you, in your keynotes, you just don't talk about the lessons. You have like magic as a metaphor that you utilize yeah. in that. It's an absurdity. Right? It's an absurdity. It makes yeah. it memorable, right? Like as you always say, I'm like Vietnamese kid from Adelaide yeah. that's doing magic tricks and sharing life lessons. Like that just as a sentence, yeah, yeah, it yeah. makes it super memorable and separates you from everyone in your space. Yeah, well, when people ask me, right. what's your keynote about? I say, <laughs> it's magic tricks, yeah. Asian jokes, <laughs> and some life lessons. Yeah. And they, just, they just remember uh, it. They're like, oh, that's funny. And that combination got you to like, arguably yeah. one of the best in the world <laughs> at your space. So, but it's that, right? But it's a rep- like, there's obviously a lot more depth and there's wisdom yeah, behind yeah. it, all of that. But it's funny when it's absurd and you can nearly mm. take- the piss out of yourself. Like I think when you mentioned The Rock, The Rock kind of has that level of absurdity, absurdity when you look yeah. at his story, mm. right? And when you look just around in general, I think it exists in things that bring out playfulness and joy and memorability to them. Well, I like what you're saying in that. Account for that yeah. and put aside 2 to 3%, 5% yeah. Yeah. to absurdity. Yeah. One of the things we're doing right now that I think is pretty yeah. absurd, yeah. right, that doesn't really make ROI sense is I will – dedicate two to three days every month where I get Craig and I fly Peter down from Sydney and we're just filming content for three days, for two days. And we're just creating stuff that I say to the team, everything that we create in the next 48 hours has to be birthed out of fun. It can't be done out of obligation of wanting to get better metrics. It's not about that. It, ha- it purely has to be created from fun. And every time we do it, it has to be fun. And we've achieved it every time so far. But that's, that's absurd. So it's like, I, I, I think if I was wearing the CFO hat, I'd say, <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Don't yeah, do that. Focus just, on the you've core, got, you've yeah. got terabytes of archive yeah. footage. Yeah. Just use that and cut that up. Why are yeah. you dedicating all this yeah. time to doing this? And then the team after that has to edit the footage, which takes more time. So, so I think, yeah, I think accounting for three to 5% of absurdity, I think, I think that's important because Absolutely. those videos, 
they don't do that well on social media, but it's also a beacon to the world of who we are. That's right. And, and for us, it's, it's, again, sharing distilled wisdom by having fun. You flying down to do this podcast with me in person doesn't make that much sense. But again, I think it's, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it's what we're about. And I think, absolutely. And even from that absurdity, mm. once it goes through refinement loops, you will find the, the next level of the more responsible, serious stuff out of that as well. Mm. I think these are, the, these are the things that unlock that. Yeah. Right? Like even if you think about Tesla as an example, it's like that absurd thing. It probably retains employees. Yeah. It gets employees thinking about innovation, that it's okay to innovate. Yeah. Right? So it has a flow-on effect here as well. Yeah. That. Yeah, well, it's just making me yeah. think. I never thought about it from a retention point of view. Yeah. Right? It's like, oh, yeah, the team might appreciate that. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. wow, where, where else could I get oh. this? Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Mm. That's cool. Any other thoughts you had on that one? Yeah, well, it just probably then links in just into a couple of the other ones is then law 11 is avoid wallpaper at all costs. So don't just become part of the background. Mm. And it's around the notion of you don't want to – like the worst thing that you can ever be is relevant. You know, if you're trying to get attention potentially or you're trying to grow something or build something, like that's the least profitable way forward yeah. is just being so safe that no one notices. Yeah. You'd either rather offend people yeah. or really please them yeah. than sit somewhere in the middle there. And it also talks about how like tactics and gambits always have a really short lifespan. So if you're sitting there and you're looking at somebody's YouTube video, like it's probably, and you try to copy it, there might be some learnings in that, but it's probably already passed because a hundred other people have already copied that thing. So you need to continuously add a new spin so that you can connect through with people, especially in today's world where attention's pretty hard to, to gain and garner. I think that's what you and your team do so well is that you're always looking at you know, trying to be one step ahead. I know recently you're looking at AI and how you utilize that. And you're always, you know, your team's always looking at what's happening in the world of social media and content and how do we keep refreshing and refining that skill set. And I think that's just so critically important. Mm, yeah. And, and, and law 11 that you just yep. mentioned, don't be wallpaper. It's, you kind of touched on it. It's also linked to law 12, yep. which is what I have down. <laughs> yeah. And link 12 is you, law 12 is you must piss people off. Yeah. And I thought that was a really interesting one because one of the key quotes from that chapter was indifference when people don't love you or hate you is the least profitable oh, outcome for a marketer. Correct. So when you think about from a business point of view, being indifferent, being neutral is probably the worst thing you can do for profitability. And, and, then, and then I looked up some different brands <laughs> to try to get a sense of, I wonder how many brands oh, really cool. push the boundaries yeah. of this. And I found one, which I found hilarious. Yeah. It's a beef jerky brand. <laughs> and do you know what they're called? They're called Fuck Vegans. <laughs> oh, no. And I just thought this was hilarious <laughs> because I wanted to find the most extreme version of a business that was yeah. – and they're getting free marketing on this podcast. Yeah. But it was just funny because I went, wow, they went to the nth degree. They picked a segment of the market to yeah. just piss off. Yeah. I just thought that was and really funny. their own customer base. Yeah, yeah but, but, the, but the, they're living true to the rule in that – Instead of trying to go for 100% and as a result get 0%, we're just going to serve 20% and we don't care if we piss off 80%. That's crazy. It's like, the, the other one that always comes to my That's mind. That's always scary. It's scary to think well, like that though. It's like it's like me creating one called F Engineers. Yeah. Communication yeah, skills. Yeah. 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 Fucking perverts. It's like, yeah. Just, yeah. Nah, it's, yeah KFC is a brand that always sticks out to me. 
Like, remember when McDonald's and everyone else was going down, like, the healthy food path and, oh, like, getting right. salads and all that? Like, it appears just, like, KFC just double down. Yeah, They're yeah. Like, we're just going to make, like, we're just going to remove the bun and just sandwich, like, yeah. two bits <laughs> of chicken, chicken, you know, like, into the next thing. And, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. hilarious. There's, uh, I think what it also shows you is that there's different strategies yeah. to get you cut through. And then how you then align them to your values and what you then want to stand for and that you can also well, defend is yeah. is a pretty big part of it. I mean, the reason why I, I picked this is, is not just to highlight things like F Vegans yeah. as a brand for beef jerky, yeah. but the, the reason I bring this one up is it, this is one of the lessons I've had to learn as I've been able to grow my impact. And once you, when you have a following of say 10,000 people or 5,000 or even 3,000 people, it's really easy with those numbers to not piss people off because these are people who are fans of you, they're friends and family, they found your content, they like you. So, so it's okay. So, so when you start your journey, you start your journey off not pissing anybody off and you only get three comments on your videos and these three comments are positive. But when you get and you grow your brand to over a million, five million people, then all of a sudden now you move into a ter- territory where pissing people off is inevitable. Like, like one of the things I wrote down is I wrote – It doesn't matter how you live your life. People are going to love you. People are going to hate you. And people who don't care will be a part of that that life of yours. And no matter how you live your life, those three buckets are going to exist anyway. It's crazy, man. Like at the scale that I have now, people don't like you because you're wearing a watch that they feel represents materialism and then they go, oh yeah, you're this kind of person. So, so it's inevitable. But, but bringing it back to what I said, <laughs> the reason why I think we get obsessed about trying not to piss people off is because early on in your journey, you don't piss anybody off because of the way your scale works because you've got a small community and everyone loves you. It's all good. But then as you build that growth and you get to 10,000, 20,000, 50,000, you now start to piss off one person. And I find that our reaction to that person is usually too much. We react too much to that. We go, oh no, I should stop making videos because this person says, I don't know anything about the topic that I'm talking about. And then we over-index on that. And then as a result, that one person who barely gives a shit about you now stops you from creating any more content. I see that a lot on social media. That's one of the questions that come up a lot during my workshops even. Having I started creating content, started getting some haters, I've stopped. It's kind of sad. One, the saddest one, the example I can give you is one of the thought leaders that came to my class and said, I made an offering to my audience. And just because I built my offering on click funnels, which is a certain type of landing pages, his whole audience said he was a scam. Mm. But he goes, but, but, but it's not Vin. Mm. It's just because there's some scammers who use that, that, that kind of platform. Mm-hmm. It's what we use. Mm-hmm. I mean, no one's complaining about that. Mm-hmm. But in his community, because he used it, because they're a community of academics, mm-hmm. they all went down hard on him saying that he's, he's sold out and he became, and then he didn't create the course. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, you, you, you just let the opinions of others who truly don't really care about you that much beyond the comment that they left stop you from launching something that I really feel will change the world. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are letting the opinions of others stopping them from doing the thing they want to do. It's true. There's... It's a bit like that analogy, right? You don't know what it's like until you hop into the ring and cop your first punch in the face. Yeah, yeah. And there, there nearly has to have that, a little bit of that fighter mentality. 
yeah. of like, I'm going to get some knocks mm. if I want that type of progress, especially when I think you expose yourself to the world yeah. and you're putting yourself out there with content or your thoughts or you're sharing parts of yourself. Mm-hmm. There's always that risk. And, you know, credit to you as I've watched you navigate the last few years of your journey. I just don't look but at it. I feel like you've navigated it really well. Yeah, but I don't look you know? at it, bro. But, but even then, you yeah. know, like it's still, it's hard to fully not look at it. Right? Yeah, like well, it, see, well, it could seep through. It can, yeah, it, it does can seep go through. through, right? Like it does seep and, through. Because when I'm looking for the messages from the people I right. care about, every right. now and then you see a you see a negative. But, but I've watched it. You like stay so like relative, like pretty centered throughout that mm. whole point. You know, like that hasn't been one of the things that's rattled you. You know, like you haven't gone down that rabbit hole of oh, I'm questioning my content. Should I change it right, up? Right, like right. your message. Like I think you've stayed very true to yourself in the way that you've communicated, and I think you've done it in a very respectful way, right? Like you, you like openly. Like, I like these things. Doesn't mean that I like all of that person. Yeah. You know, and I think you've actually helped probably educate people a little bit. Yeah. On like you can like someone, but it doesn't mean that they represent all of your values. Yeah. Right, and that it's not a reason. Like, and yeah, it's whether people are going to be for you or not for you you seem pretty comfortable to just navigate through that and confident that the value or how you're expressing yourself and your content to the world, mm. um, it just feels very aligned to who you are. And it's, you know, just watching it as a, as a close friend of yours, I've just seen you go about it in a very genuine way. And I think it's reflected just in how you've sort of progressed through that really rapid growth journey, which I don't think would be easy. Like when I think about it, it's one of the things where just, yeah, without watching you sort of go through it, as I'm watching those different sort of milestones that you hear, I think I 100% know I would have slipped up at different points there. So well done. Two thoughts there. Mm. One, I think the reason why I've been able to do that is because my growth has been painfully slow. And that slow growth, I mean, the growth in the last two years has been quick, but there was also eight years, nine years before that, that people didn't really see. But that slow growth within the nine years gave me time to build the right mindset to be able to navigate these difficult times, right? Second thing that helps me navigate it, I think is I, I fully accept and understand now that I'm not for everyone. <laughs> and I'm totally cool with that now because I am for so many people that for the 5% that I'm not for, I completely accept that as collateral. Cool. All good. Craig's, not in, Craig's like, yeah, 100% not for everyone. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Including <that's-> me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Yeah. It's worked for me for more yeah. than 10 years, but he still hates me. Yeah. <laughs> you need that counterbalance, though. Do, he keeps go. you humble. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's why I keep him, just to, just to yeah. keep my ego in check. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, just keep, I keep a few key people that hate me yeah. around yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. Just keep, keep your enemies close. Yeah, keep your enemies close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I do. I keep, I keep that yeah. enemy real close. Yeah. <laughs> me and Tide are tight, though. Did I just say me and Tide are tight? Yeah, what did you even say? <laughs> oh, I need some oh. coffee. No, but but I think that that's the, the big thing that helps me, that I, yeah. I try to instill in my students as well. I'm yeah. just like, look, you just, you just have to come to accept that you're not for everyone and that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's totally fine. You can't be for everyone. You just can't. It's impossible for you to be for everyone. Like I say to them, I go, do you like every single person that you meet? There are some people that you just meet and for some reason, and this is just human, for some reason, you, you, it's just <laughs> even the way they look, you go, yeah, no, nah, I can't be friends with that person. I don't know why. Yeah. But there's something, the vibe they give off and you're like, no, nah, I can't do that. Have you ever met someone like that? <laughs> what, that you just don't like? Yeah, like you ever met someone who just <laughs> through shaking their hand, they just opened their mouth and they just greeted you and you just kind of think to yourself, I, I can't stay in this conversation too long. 
Yeah, I think I think we all do. Yeah, I think we all do, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, I think but that, we that have is, chemistry. I think we have natural chemistry. That's right. Like, uh, I can't remember where I read it, but it was like connection and communication is fundamentally just an exchange of energy. Yeah, right. It's vibrations. So, sometimes the energy hits. Sometimes, sometimes it does neutral. Sometimes it's like oh, painfully resistant. You and know, just it's like re- I need to get out of here. And just reflect on that in your own life. If you don't like everybody you meet on a daily basis, why would everybody like you? So I think the sooner we accept that Mm -hmm. as just a universal truth, Mm -hmm. that it's all right. right. There's just then 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 you 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 move past those comments because you can just label those comments as well. That's the part of the market that I'm not for. Those are the people that I I won't be serving in my life, and that's okay. I'll put something kind of controversial out there. Okay, okay, okay. All right, let's go. If you're somebody who negatively comments. Yeah. On other people's stuff. Mm-hmm. The problem is you. <laughs> right? Okay. I just think that that has to be a realization. Like yeah. if, you, if you view yourself as somebody who has self-awareness. I wish and, we could interview one of these people. And your, your perspective is I've got self-awareness. I'm just going to comment on some random person's stuff yeah. in a negative way without providing anything constructive to this. Yeah. You're probably the issue. <laughs> right? And you probably need to reflect internally yeah, around yeah, like yeah, yeah. what's happening at the moment yeah. that – is making you, inspiring you to spend your valuable time, energy, and resources yeah. on commenting on something that isn't really going to have an impact other than maybe a very superficial level of, I don't know, feeling good about yourself for like a moment because you've tried to bring someone else down. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Like it's a really, like a just as an objective concept, I think mm. there's something here, mm. even though it might hit harsh. What- When's the last time you've left a negative comment? I've never done it. God, get out of here. Don't do it. You've never left a negative comment no. ever in your teenage no. years of life well, online. Well, we, we didn't have like social media too much until we got yeah, a little bit true, older. That's true. Right? That's true. So I'm so sure you would have I would have. Oh, hundred percent. Like if social media existed when we were young, I'm trying to think. I would have been cancelled before the age of 18 or 19. Like the fact that it doesn't, I'm so thankful for. But no, like since since social media has been okay, around, because well, we, we got it relatively Late, yeah. right? Like yeah. we were in our 20s at that point. Um, yeah, like I can't re- – I'm sure that if there is one out there, I want to find. We've got a no, saint no, here. It's not a saint. <laughs> it's just I'm too lazy. Like yeah. I can't be bothered. By, yeah, 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 yeah. To me, like it would feel gross right. that I'm doing that, right? Like that, That's cool, man. Like I don't know, but but it's not That's like cool. because like trying to like – be no, above no, no, it or no, anything. I know, I know, I know, but I, know. I can hear the sincerity in your No, no, no. It's just more around like, yeah. all right, well, what's going on with me right now if I'm at the point now yeah. where I've got to write a write a hate comment to somebody that I don't really know? Well, right. well I only do it to my friends and people that I care about. Heaps of hate comments. Where's like, the that's only, where I where is, that's where, where I provide is, them all. Look, well, let, let me represent the imperfect humans right. that exist. What have in you the world. been doing? Okay, let me, what have let you me. been What have you been putting hate comments on? I went through a period of my life where I wrote a lot of hate comments, <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> and I wrote a lot of hate comments uh, in in chat that was yeah. uh, based around games. Ah, okay. So I'd be playing games like League of Legends, yeah. okay? Yeah. So I remember a period of my life where I was deep into League of Legends and I would write so many hate comments when my team members don't perform well, okay? Oh, yeah, so yeah. when my team's playing poorly yeah. and I – because it's teams of five, so it's yeah. five versus five in League of Legends. Yeah. And I would always play with one of my cousins, right? Shout out to my cousin Hung. Yeah. And then three others would always be paired up with three random people. Hung and I are pretty damn good at League of Legends. And we always get paired up with guys who are kind of (laughs) shitty. So then when they get the basic things wrong, Hung and I unleash. It's like, what the hell? Did you guys only learn how to play today? Like, what the frick? Why did you even like, 
again, in the game, you take lanes. We're like, why did you even choose that lane if you don't know how to play that lane? Why would you choose that role if you don't know how to play that role? Why would you even choose that character if you don't know how to play that character? And some people will be like, oh no, I'm just trying to try out some new characters, bro. <laughs> we're like, nah, dude, you're so shit of it. You should never play again. And we were so angry. And the, the amount of hate that came yeah. out of me was un, un, unreal. Yeah. The reason why I bring this up as an example is I want to dissect it. Mm. So you're, you're saying that in those moments when I was saying yeah. the nastiest shit to other yeah. people and generally they were like yeah. 12-year-old kids and I feel yeah. terrible about yeah. it now, you're saying it's more of a reflection on me. Well, the fact, that, so? the fact that you couldn't fill in a team of five, so there's only you and your cousin, <laughs> yeah. is probably the first indicator of where you're at. Yep, yep, the, yep. The, the, there wasn't a squad built out. There was no, so, squ- there was no one else wanted to play with us. 100% be reflecting on that at that point okay. in your time. Okay. <laughs> Earlier in the pod, you mentioned that you had no friends. Yeah, I did. Right? Yeah. Probably another reflection. Like, since I've known you, you yeah. haven't exhibited any of those traits yeah, I haven't. over the last 10 years. No, and I haven't. I think, yeah, I think I haven't. you're more in alignment with what you were saying before about being a very generous, mm. connected, family oriented. So you think that stemmed from me, that stemmed from not having my own platoon to play the game with? I think so. And right, because do do you also remember how some people say when someone comments something nasty, Mm -hmm. it's more of a reflection of what's going on in their internal world. So what the hell was going on in my internal world for me to give 12 year old shit on a game? (laughs) Probably a combination of like- Loneliness. Maybe, right? Starving connection. Wanted, wanted to feel like superior maybe, you know, right. because you win. were good at it. You were master. Well, like, I wanted to win. Yeah, you wanted to win. Competitiveness. Yeah, right? Right, right, I think that's probably very natural for especially teenage boys when they're- No, I was in my early 20s. <laughs> right, so I was definitely in my sorry, mid-20s. I got the age wrong a little bit. <laughs> it's a mid-20s. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, in that sort of 15 to 30 yeah, age. 15 to 46 we'll just, Yeah, we'll age range. But I think it's also part of our evolution and development, right? Like if I think- back to when I was a teenager, like we always laugh with my childhood mates and they're like, Ali, you were such a piece of shit when you were like yeah. a teenager and growing up, right? Like I would do, because my house was headquarters because mm. my mom would work night shift and go away. So there'd be eight of us around there. And like, I'll do messed up stuff. Like we had a court case with one of my friends, Tim. We literally locked him out of the house for a six month period. So every time he would come over, there'd be a sign saying, no Tim's are allowed. <laughs> oh dude, that's right? so mean. Because he hadn't paid one of the other guys $2 that he owned him from a packet of cigarettes. Right, and that just continued on. Now, if I reflect on that, that's not that's not positive behavior. And now, like, if I it's really, really dig deeper, that's like asserting power, mm. control, very very unrefined leadership qualities at that point. Mm. Probably not being a great friend. Like these are just things as I think we evolve. But that was like those types of behaviors, even with friends, and how like you know, oh, you owe me this. You know, you you borrowed this last time. You can't have this food. Like all these things were just more reflections of what internal fears or where we're at or wanting control. Like right. if, if you look back at it now, yeah. that's probably the behavior, right? But just didn't have – and then you build that awareness and I think we both have tried over the years to build awareness and try to evolve beyond mm. that person. I don't know if you're still doing that Well, in, no, I mean, I'm, chat I'm, groups or not. I'm just trying to – no, I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> I don't play games anymore. I've got – Well, Karma, got karma came now. back. Yeah, karma yeah, came yeah, back yeah, when yeah. you got 5 million followers and you're like – these comments aren't really all that yeah, nice. Well, it's come back in, in in a lot more volume than what I'd put out. Yeah, you did to three there was people. There's definitely an exponential. <laughs> yeah, there's actually an exponential curve with the amount of hate that's going back that's my way. Shit, karma's exponential. <laughs> that's scary. Yeah. No, but the thing that I want to truly understand, yeah. and it's why I'm talking about this, yeah. I'm trying to understand it while we're talking. Yeah. Is when people say that the negativity that people put out is often a reflection of the negativity that's going yeah. on in their life. That's right. And I'm just trying to reflect on my period of life, that point. 
that was when I wasn't achieving much success in my life. I didn't have a partner. You're right. I didn't have many friends outside of the game. I didn't have anything else going for me. So my negative reaction, the reason why it was so strong was because I had nothing else going for me in my life. And my life outside of that game was kind of depressing. It's kind of depressing. And, and the only place I could get validation that I was doing life well mm. was when at the end of the 45 minutes of the game, it said victory. Yep. And when I don't get that victory, because I wasn't getting victory anywhere else in my life. Mm-hmm. So I think that crazy reaction came as, as a result of I overvalued something that wasn't actually that important. Yep. So I think when you get hate on your videos, on your comments, on your posts, mm-hmm or in life in general, understand that negativity comes from negativity. That's right. So they are obviously in a negative place, in a dark place, and usually a shitty place. Mm -hmm. That's why shitty things are coming out of their mouths is because they're in kind of a shitty place. Mm -hmm. Bad breath only comes from a shitty mouth, (laughs) right? Right, that's your um. There's a quote. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, like if your breath smells like shit, yeah, then you probably have shit in your mouth. Um, Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no. Nah. Yeah, I'm not riding along in this one, but yeah. No, but I'll, I'll hold space for you. That's, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's the best I can do. If someone's <laughs> saying something negative, they're 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 existing in a negative environment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think you're right, and and, and 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 that's what I hope people see because if you can see. Mm-hmm the full picture, yeah. you'll take that comment with a grain of salt. That's right. Right. Whereas if you just see the comment for the comment and you're picturing that person who left the comment mm-hmm. as a 35-year-old, fully functional, positive, That's right. imp- like a, a, a person who's a great contributor to society left that negative mm-hmm. comment, generally not the case. Yeah. Generally someone who's in a place of and, suffering. And even when I sort of said what I said before around like – you are the problem. I think it's also, it was more a pattern break to shine light on that because sometimes when we're in that space, we can't see it, mm. right? We might actually have a belief that we're adding value, that yeah. we're doing the right thing, that, you know, that we're so enlightened that we can provide this high quality level of feedback to somebody, you know, as they, yeah, yeah. As they try to progress down their own journey. And I think that's just more about shining that light of awareness. But then also mm. on the flip side, if you are the receiver of those comments, and I think you've done this really well, is that you can shine compassion onto it. Mm, right because yeah. that the reality yeah, there also is that you're right it it might not be somebody who is like they're still in their emotional development it yeah. might be a 12 year old kid Could be. that writes you that comment and yeah. then if you just respond reactively mm. like you don't really know who you're responding to and who you might be shattering and then mm. it, i think it just becomes another exponential loop right and as you said before hurt people hurt people yeah right yeah. so it's how do you then infuse Compassion. Yeah, compassion into things. And you turn that negative into a positive Mm. a little bit more. Well, it it, it lessens its impact when you look at it through the lens of compassion. There's a musician that I follow and he made a video just over the weekend. Mm -hmm. And his video, it was a really sad video. He's got, he's got, he's such an incredible musician, but the comments on his videos are overwhelmingly negative Mm. and it's to do with his looks. Yeah. So what? And then he made a video about it, how self-conscious he feels now, and the reason he hasn't been posting as much recently is because, overwhelmingly, the comments are comments like this, and he he posted them. It was really sad. It's people go, oh, what a shame! If only he was better looking. You know, you know, he's never going to make it because he's fat. And all these comments, it's actually really sad. And I left him a really big positive comment. I I took a long time to craft it, but it, but I know. 
that the number of positive comments, they don't outweigh just what, like you can get 10 of the ones written from like me and you just get one negative one and it hurts 50 times worse. Yeah. And, and, but, but I think what you just gave is a really cool little solution there is to lessen the impact of the negative, look at them with the lens of compassion and empathy. Mm-hmm. It, it lessens its negativity. Yeah. It lessens it. It's still there. I still think the best case is don't look at it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just, just don't even look at them. Or, or if yeah. you are, like, just look for objective controllables. Yeah, yeah. Take yeah. out what could be infused with that's hard though. Too. Negative emotion, that's right? Really it's hard very though. difficult it's to very feel, difficult. Right? To like feel if someone's like, "Hey, yeah. you could improve this," and it might actually be a real thing, then maybe it's worth listening to. But again, mm. you've probably got people in your own internal network that you can go and find those improvements yeah, yeah. from in a much kinder way. But yeah, yeah. Be careful who you seek feedback from. If yeah. you're seeking feedback from the comment section, not the ideal place. <laughs> probably not. Not the ideal place. No. Okay. Nice. All right. Well, that that was a that was a powerful one. Love it. So that was my yeah. You went eleven, then I went twelve. Yeah. Cool. Next one. Yeah. I think this one just relates to us because we love the concept of recalibrating. Okay. So a small miss now creates a big miss later. Is law number twenty. Right. And there's there's a theory I think in navigation where if you're going at a pretty fast speed even if you're off by one degree, yeah. you know, exponentially, that's going to put you 60 miles off course. Yeah. And then you end up completely lost in that sea. And I think this is one that hurts a lot of people, especially in this day and age, where that feeling of, oh, I'm lost in my life. I don't really know what's happening. Where are we? And I think that happens it's because there's, there's maybe accumulation there mm-hmm. of just making small decisions, small moves, and then ending up in a position and then being like, Jesus, I'm not at the destination where I thought I'd be. At mm. this point in life, I ended up somewhere around here. And, you know, we call that recalibrating, right? It's natural. We never always stay on track, but how do you then find it? How do you find your path again once you do get a little bit lost in there? Yeah, well, the idea of recalibrate is instead of, instead of setting out on a course mm-hmm. and then only course correcting 10 years later, you course correct every six months, you course correct every 12 months. Yep. That allows you to make sure that any – slight error in your course mm-hmm. charting process, yeah. you're able to fix that. You're catching it earlier catching as opposed to allowing the, because, because the thing about distance and degrees off is that the greater amount of time that you leave it for, the greater the error. Yeah. So the more check-ins you can do, the more you minimize the error. And I really love the way that he sort of puts this into context as well. Like it's about neglecting the small things for an extended period of time. Mm. And then he's got some graphs that sort of show you like you could make 10 really good decisions and you have that positive sort of loop around 1% optimizations Mm -hmm. that go here and you're going to get an exponentially amazing result. Mm -hmm. But the one that it really opened my eyes to is like, what are the things that you're neglecting? Mm. What are the things that are decaying that are taking you off track? Mm. Right. And there's actually an exponential, like the same mathematics runs the other way. So for example, your health, Mm. is a really good example, right? Yeah. There's another section in the book where it talks about, it's the one like they use the example of Warren Buffett, right? And it's like, hey, if you got the choice to just get one car mm. for the rest of your life, how would you then look after it? You know, you'd probably maintain it all the time. You'd make it, you'd do a lot of research. You'd you'd make sure that it's getting washed and, you know, serviced and you're doing all these things because it's going to be the one car that you get to use for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. right? And in life for us, that's our mind and our bodies, Right? So I think this all ties together that we probably, 
you know, sometimes it's really easy just to focus on what's the next move going to be, you know, how does everything work? But also we need to probably focus on what, what things are really important in our lives mm. that we're just neglecting that over a longer period of time will have a pretty significant impact. Mm. I mean, when you're talking about your body there, yeah. I, I love this one phrase from the book where it yeah. says, take care, of your, take care of your body. It is after all the only vehicle you get to own, mm. the only vessel you'll use to explore the world mm. and the only house you can ever truly call home. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's, that ties into law nine, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah. It is law nine. Yeah, yeah it is law nine. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, that, that, that's such a powerful reminder that, especially with your health, You've got to be so careful because when you're younger, you can be 10 degrees off and it's all right. You'll be okay in your 20s and your 30s-ish. But then as you approach your 40s, everyone that I'm listening to on health podcasts are saying, if you don't start to correct some of those behaviors that you allow to let go, you, that you let go of in your 20s and your 30s, it will diminish your quality of life as you move into your 40s, 50s, 60s and beyond dramatically, like severely going to impact your quality of life. Which is, which is, again, like this is law nine now. We're kind of moving back to law nine. But law nine is pro- always prioritize your first foundation. Mm. And the first foundation is your health. Mm. And I think I just got a good reminder of that last week. It's funny, hey, it's only when you're sick. Yeah. And like, again, I get reminded of this every time. <laughs> and there's that quote that a healthy person wants 10,000 things. A sick person wants one thing. Yeah. And all of last week, the only thing I wanted was my health back. <laughs> get better. Yeah. What just to we, get better. Yeah. It's, it's, and I think it's almost, there's a beauty in being sick. And every year we tend to get sick maybe once, maybe if we're lucky, none, but at least I find that in my life, I get sick at least once a year. And it's actually a really important reminder for me because I think if I didn't get that, if I didn't get sick, I would never be reminded of the first, the first foundation, which is your health. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I didn't have to, but man, I need that reminder all the time. A lot of theories now as well around like, you know, our health is our body subconsciously also just slowing us down, especially in this, right. the world that we're living in, right? And it yeah. feels like, you know, especially for us, I think our recent, any recent sort of sicknesses we've had have probably nearly been foreseeable, right? Because we've been going mm. too hard in certain aspects. We haven't been looking after ourselves. Like even the last couple of times I've been sick, yeah, wasn't too surprising, in a, in a yeah, way, mine wasn't. it was like, oh, okay, well, probably need a break. Mm. You know, like it's nearly, it's nearly self-imposed in a way. Mm. And hundred percent when what we're in our mid thirties, we're heading into our forties. Yeah. Like for the first time ever, I did my first like soft tissue injury. I did a calf injury. Right? Yeah. Just, um, just before you went on a break. Yeah. Before I went away. And it was interesting when that happened because it was just that real, like for the first time, and everyone calls a calf injury like the old man injury. That's oh, what, really? that's the way it's referred to because you're just not, you know, at okay. the fitness level that you need to be at. And I was trying to play cricket and get it back into sport and just thinking that still had young guy's body and obviously don't. And it was just a, a really cool reflection point around, all right, crap, like I need to really start focusing on this. And then I told you the story earlier where I was at the train station and I was chatting to this 82-year-old guy. Oh, yeah. Right? And I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, I just finished running the Oslo Marathon. And I'm like, what? And he's 82. Yeah, 82. And then he was like, yeah, I only started running marathons when I was in my 40s. And I'm like, how inspiring is that? That mm. you, you weren't even focusing on your fitness. But then as you turned 40, you started running marathons. And he was one of two people in the over-80s category to, to finish that marathon, which was just incredible. And I'm like, okay, well, again, this is another one of those things 
where it's never too late to then turn it around. Mm. And I think for us, it's probably highlighted for both of us mm. in the next few years. And it's probably an area that we need to focus on a little bit more. We should know? do a health book next we should. on our podcast. I think we should. I think we, we really should. Yeah. I'll make a note of that. Yeah. And health plan. <laughs> no, but I think I think it's 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 quite timely yeah. for us. I'm yep. just gonna make a note. Let's do that. Because health book has to be the next one. Love it. Uh, Peter Atia has a book on health. I think yep. we should potentially look at. But anyway, but look, that, that's just a cool, cool pragmatic mm-hmm. action as a result of reading this book and doing the podcast. I like that it pragmatic. Well, it's funny how for both of us, it stuck out. Oh, dude. We probably had you enough indicators. Yeah. I lost my voice uh, and, and yeah. just had the worst cold I've ever had for the longest time. It's pretty crazy. It. But I, I like what you're saying there too in terms of it's, it's like you don't just randomly get sick. It's your body communicating to you. Yeah, you know, something there. Yeah, like hey, yeah. you just you, if you don't slow down, we're going to force you to slow down, kind of thing. Yeah, or it's a signal, right? It, at the very least, even if it's not communicating to you, it can always serve as a lesson. Mm. It's like, all right, well, what can I improve from this point on to try to reduce the chances of that happening again? Mm. Mm. Law twenty-four. Mm. Law twenty-four is you must make pressure your privilege, mm. and I, I think it's really important. To, to, to clarify something here, because I think when, when people hear you've got to make pressure your privilege, I think what people are actually hearing is they go, oh, stress is a privilege. I, I think there's a big difference between stress and pressure. Yeah. Stress is something that's, stress is an internal psychological response to a situation, whereas pressure is more external environmental forces that create pressure. So I think they're two different things. One's internally driven, one's externally driven. And in this chapter, Stephen talks about the importance of pressure. So do you remember the last time you felt pressure and was it a positive thing or negative thing? Do you remember the last time you felt a lot of pressure? You have one that comes to mind and I'll think of one. Yeah, I think the last time I felt a lot of pressure (laughs) is very recently, (laughs) this month in particular, (laughs) the month of October. When I was going from September into October, I looked at my diary and I had a moment with you. I'm like, oh man, I'm underwater for a month. I'm going to have to go all out for a whole month. And then my vehicle broke down halfway through anyway. Yeah. But I could see that going into, I'm like, shit, this is, this is intense. My work schedule is out of control. Mm-hmm. Like I, I was going through three days of content creation into a two full 12 hour teaching workshop weekend, 12 hours on the Saturday, 10 hours on the Sunday. And then right after that, I was doing Microsoft deliveries for a client of mine, like just straight into nonstop deliveries. Mm-hmm. Felt hell pressure. And it's interesting because in that situation, that pressure broke me. So that was a negative example of pressure. But I think pressure is neutral. It's just how much of it we stack on. So that's the negative side of pressure. When you do too much, it's bad. That's, that's kind of throwing someone who doesn't know how to swim in the water and then they just drown. But I think there's, there's a – but to live life without any of pressure, then you don't grow at all. So I think if you think back right now, if you're listening to this and if, if you're struggling to recall a time where you felt pressure, that is also an indicator. You've got to create some pressure for yourself because I think pressure creates a lot of cool things. Too much pressure can also lead to a lot of bad things. It's that middle ground. So if you can think of a lot of pressures, it's probably a bad thing. But if you can't think of any, it's probably a bad thing. So I think you've, you've got to be able to have a decent amount of pressure in your life to create 
the amount of stress that's necessary for growth. Yeah. And I think absolutely there's two types of stress, right? There's eustress and then distress. Mm. And we probably want to minimize the amount of distress mm. that we're feeling because that's usually negative pressure. What did you right? call it? Distress uh, versus? Uh, eustress. Eustress. Yeah, EU. You stress, I'm pretty you, sure. That's, you stress. Yeah, you stress, I think, is like the positive side. Oh, of I've never heard of that stress. before. Yeah, it's like a nourishing type of pressure or, or stress. Growth, stress. Yeah, growth-related, growth right? Right, yeah. distress versus you stress. Yeah. I've never heard of that before. Pretty sure they're the terminologies. We'll fact-check yeah. that. Okay. Uh, Craig? <laughs> yeah, Craig's yeah. like, oh, my God, I'd got to Google something here. This is yeah. – <laughs> You stress. Yeah, but I think it's that and it's sort of – yeah, seeing which types of, as you said, pressure is going to nourish you and – lead to growth. And then, yeah, which one sort of carved in overwhelm, potentially fear. Like That's one of the big things that I've been thinking about recently mm. is what in my life is fundamentally driven by, call it, love and growth and joy versus what's actually driven by fear mm. and defense and protecting, mm. right? And that's probably been part of just – I don't know whether it's a narrative that's getting crafted or something that exists in my world at the moment, but I find myself oscillating and sometimes I'm unclear. I'm like, am I making this decision because it's actually from a place of like growth or am I masking it as growth or is it actually really largely driven by a place of fear? Mm. Yeah. And then really trying to bring awareness to that because to me, like one of my sort of recent theories and maybe it was to do with, you know, digging into Eckhart Tolle's like power up now stuff a little bit more as well. It's like just a bit of a internal goal is what can I actually nourish with really positive energy or pure energy mm. as I, like, I term it. It's not an objective term, but it's like, okay, well, is this, is this going to have a compound effect? Because I just sort of, when I was looking back over the last four or five years, things that I've done from a place of fear or like defense, I found that it's got a negative ongoing effect at times. Like there's some sort of karma that potentially comes from it as well. You know, where it's like, oh, okay, like I made this move hastily or I made it from a place of potentially like a little bit of anger or trying to win or whatever it was. It feels like there's often some sort of counterbalance that hits it. Whereas there's other moves where I look at it where they've just been infused with a lot of like positive energy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, this thing just keeps on delivering. It's like a positive energy cycle. Mm. And so I'm getting a little bit rah-rah here potentially. Oh, that's cool. But yeah, it's like, how do you do that? And I think this links to pressure, Mm. right? Because when you use the word pressure, I actually don't, it's again, it's one of those words that I don't love. Like I don't have it. I don't really put it into the ecosystem because as soon as I think pressure, I think there's something nearly that's coming from a place of fear here that's driving action. Okay. Right? So that would be my sort of counter to that. It's like, okay, is this, is this pressure now? Is it feeling like pressure? Because to me, pressure is like a bit of a weight. It's mm-hmm. like this thing's getting heavier and heavier mm-hmm. and then it inspires action so you can get beyond it. Right. Right. So I think you're 100% right in what you said there is if you don't have enough of that, it may lead to not having motivation and then forward moving momentum. Like mm-hmm. for a, often, that is the thing that gets us. It's like, oh crap, if I miss this opportunity, mm-hmm. it's pressure, I better just do it. Or I've got this one chance, I better act on it. Or I'm getting a bit lazy, I need to give myself some pressure. I get above it, right? But then I also wonder whether there's another form of this, which maybe links to you stress or whatever that is. Where it's so like, is you stress a thing, Craig? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. So then so it's like, yeah. like, and it might not even have to be stress. It mm. can be like, how do you change that narrative to excitement, to, you know, uh, alignment? 
that it's just pulling, you know, it's pulling you in a, in a direction that's just a little bit more organic. So it's a bit like the Bruce Lee flow like water kind of thing where it's like, can you then still get those amazing outcomes without having stress and pressure? Because stress and pressure to me, it's like, well, I've now put an expectation on something mm. to try to drive some action or some outcome that, you know, might or might not happen. Mm. So it's like, oh, are we creating like nearly unnecessary pain in that period mm-hmm. or like while we embark on that journey that could be done in a different way? Cool, cool spin on that because from, from what I'm hearing you're yeah. saying is if I'm just distilling it a bit, it's when you experience stress or pressure, yeah. the first thing you should do is check if it, is it distress or is it you stress. Mm. And if it's distress, it's most likely coming from a place of scarcity and fear, mm. right? And if it's you stress, it's probably coming from a place of goodness. Yeah. So right. you just want to check that. Sorry. So if you're feeling distressed often, then a really good thing for you to do is to check in. Is this situation caused out of a lot of fear? Is it coming from fear? Is it coming from scarcity? And if that fixed that, yeah. you want to address that. Yeah. So that, that's a really cool tool there you kind of shared. Yeah. Is check in with the kind of stress you're experiencing. Is it you stress or de-stress? Yeah. Oh, uh, distress. And also I think one of the really powerful sort of practical aspects of this mm. is using a journal. And you know sometimes when we have those thoughts circulating around, mm. journaling and just putting them on a piece of paper can be a really cool way to start working through them. Right. And, and it's often what we do together as well. Well, like, identifying like, the root cause of where it's coming from. That's right. That's like, what writing it down does. Like, what is this? Right. Yeah. Like even- Where is it coming from? Your October, for example, mm. probably 10 minutes away from figuring out what caused that, why those feelings were there and what was happening in well, that Well, I mean, I can tell you now, even right. in us discussing it, the reason my October was packed as much as it was packed is because I still somewhere in my head associate going away- with not being a good thing for the business. Because mm-hmm. I went away for a three-day weekend, right? I'm also going away at the end of this month for two weeks. But every time I look at my diary and I go, oh, I'm going away. Oh, if you're going away, you better double your workload before you go away mm-hmm. so you can earn that. Mm-hmm. So to me, I, I have this negative relationship still in my head with being away, yep. being away from the business. Mm-hmm. I, I'm still working through that. Yeah. I, th- I think it's, again, yeah. that, that generational kind of yeah. work ethic that I've inherited and, and I've seen my parents exhibit their whole lives. But yeah, there's something there. And then also there's definitely a place of fear a fear that, oh, you're going you're gonna to be off for two weeks? Oh, well, you better make up for that. Otherwise, you know, there's a fear that all of everything that I have right now is going to go away. There's definitely still that fear, dude. Yep. Yeah. still there. And I think we all have them, you know, yeah. and, and they, they lurk in yeah, dark corners. Yeah. You know, My, mine's not are. in a dark corner. Right, mine's right, right, yeah. yeah, well, they're front of mind, <laughs> right? But they exist and sometimes they can drive mm. really great positive action. Like I think one of the things, again, flipping that around a little bit, yeah. for you, your fear often drives incredible action and outcomes. Mm. Right, so it's got that duality to it, where it can cause pain, but then you've also achieved things that most people never will, you know. And I think a lot of that's been driven as a combination of who you yeah, are, yeah. whether it's the love side, the fear side, the action side, the mastery side, like all of it, right? So we got to take it all essentially as it is, yeah, right, because it is all linked to where we are right now, yeah. yeah. And, and it's, I think it's the other thing is just having a healthy relationship with how we bring awareness to it, how we observe it, and how we judge it, mm. both ourselves and the outcomes and what's happening on the external world, right? Well, when, when I think about pressure and stress, I think about stand-up comedians. Mm. 
Getting up on stage, you did stand-up comedy. Yeah. It's one of the scariest things in the world that creates, I think, a lot of distress yeah. and maybe some you stress. Yeah. And I think it creates a, a hell of a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. However, when you think of stand-up comedians, they always will talk about how important open mic nights are, which means, in other words, they're saying how important stress is and how important pressure is. Because in those moments of pressure, they often say that it's the audience that helps them refine the material. But I think there's a hidden element here that stress and pressure is a key element that also helps them refine their material. It's not just the audience. I think the audience is one element of that, but it's when they put themselves into that situation where there's high levels of stress and pressure, that's when you are in also the peak state to create gold. Mm -hmm. And I find that happens to me as an artist, as someone who creates and teaches as well in the, in the moments when I'm on stage teaching where the pressure is the highest, that's when I tend to create my most unique and refined material. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I think, like we said, we talked about the dark side of it, but I think there is a really positive side to it that if you're sitting there right now and you cannot genuinely think of the last time you felt a lot of pressure and you felt a lot of good you stress, mm-hmm. then I think you might want to plan for some of it. Yeah. You might, you might need to challenge yourself a bit more yeah. because that's often when the greatest fruits yeah. uh, are harvested. Yeah. And if, even if it's not creating pressure, it's like the question might be, am I in a comfort zone right now mm. that I need to get beyond? Because what you're also talking about there is stakes. Yeah. How do you put yourself in a high stakes situation? Yep. Right? And, and the other word that comes there is how do we embrace failure more? Mm. Right? When you talk about the comedians there, I think the best comedians, they love embracing failure. Mm. You know, they're not – they're not dissuaded by bombing on stage. They yeah. view that as part of the iterative process. Mm-hmm. And I think it, that exists everywhere. It's probably another one of the laws there where it's like, how do you embrace failure yeah, and get like, as, as many yeah. repetitive loops of failure as you can? Yeah. It's generally going to be what is behind success. Yeah. Right. So it's nearly having, again, whether you, whether it's pressure in the form of pressure and stress or it's nearly in the form of humility, right. And lack of ego where, okay, I'm just going to keep going out there and just failing and trialing and doing it publicly and however it plays out, I'm going to come back through it. Right? Like that is also the iteration cycle of most things that are great. Well, not, not, not to sidetrack, but that's actually law 21. Mm-hmm. Law 21 is you must outfail your competition. I have to. We'll jump back down yeah. to that one in a second. Yeah. But I think you, you were touching on a really cool point is that the way the comedians frame Failure. The, re, the, the way that comedians view failure is not negative. Right. They view it as, well, that's how I learned not to do the joke. Mm-hmm. Now I've learned how to do the joke as a result of learning how not to do the joke. So th- there's a lot of tools here that I, I want to make sure we capture. Mm-hmm. The first tool is check in whether your, your stress or your pressure is you stress or de-stress, mm-hmm. distress, mm-hmm. and just make sure you check in on that, the source of it. The second thing is how you frame it. How you frame that pressure is really important. Mm-hmm. If you frame it as being a bad thing, then it's going to be a bad thing. Sure. But if you frame it as a good thing, then I think that's really important. And, and, and the way to frame it, I think, is when you're feeling stressed, and the book touched on this, when you're feeling stressed, your body is in peak levels of performance, mm-hmm. ready to take on the challenge. So when you're feeling that stress, the heart increases, you're starting to sweat a little bit, you could view that as, oh, shit, I'm about to fail. Mm-hmm. Or you could view that as, my body is getting in gear and getting into peak performance ready for me to address this challenge and to take the challenge on head on. That's this is my body getting in the gear. And I think that's a really powerful reframe. Mm, I love that. 
and you want to, and it's not sustainable to stay in that red line gear no, all the time. You just it. want to use it in That's little right. bite-sized pieces to give you that. That, like you said, right? Yeah. You use it to find these golden nuggets. Now you don't yeah. use it all the time, no. But you do it a few times a year where you need to get that new level of creativity or that yeah. new level of performance. But you can't really stay in that. You level can't. Stay. The it's whole not sustainable. Time. No. But but it's a cool reframe for people who say, for example, their fear is public speaking. Mm-hmm. So when your mouth goes a little bit dry or when your heart rate increases and you're feeling a bit clammy, right? All of that, reframe it as this is my body. I'm excited. Actually excited mm. and getting primed for optimal performance. Mm. So I think it's a really cool reframe. Oh, I love that. The, the next thing that the book talks about on how to use pressure and, and kind of use pressure to your advantage is use it. As in now that you've made the reframe and you're thinking, oh, my body is kind of primed for this optimal performance. Well, then now go out there and do the thing. Use it. Don't let that all go to waste. Don't let all of that pressure build up your body priming to get ready and then in action and then do nothing. Take action, do the thing. And there's one last one they say as well is when you're feeling all of that stress and you're feeling all that pressure, community, share, share the pressure. You can let some of the pressure out by sharing some of those pressures with those around you. One of the reasons why when we ran Recalibrate the first time, the program that we've got, the reason why I was able to manage a lot of that stress was because I had you to share it with. And I think the opposite was also true. 100%. You felt better about it because you were able to share some of that stress. I'm the best safety net in the world. I'm like, yeah. at the very least, even if our content's completely rubbish, you speaking for eight hours should put us somewhere in a decent, decent zone here. So I was like, I was about as relaxed as I've yeah. ever been in my entire life. You're like, hey, aren't you worried? Oh, or man, and I'm like, no, man, you got this. You're fine. Like, this is. That's hilarious. Yeah. But yeah, I, mean, I don't think it, I took too much weight off your shoulders in that situation. No, I did. You did. You did. You did. You did. But I think that that's another really pragmatic way yeah. to decrease some of that stress so it's not crippling. That's awesome. I like that. Well, let's jump into Law 21, which is yep. you must outfail your competition. If, if you're not happy with your current level of success, you have to then reflect on your current level of failure, your rate of failure. Because there was a great quote in the book where I can't remember exactly what it was. I didn't note it down, but it's, if you want to double your rate of success, double your rate of failure. And it's interesting because there's this really cool text in the book where it says the following, and I noted it down where it says, and if, if just follow this, if you listen to the podcast down to the deep end now, and you're still here, (laughs) you're still with us. Yeah. You're still with us. Then I I want you to take a moment to really get focused here and, and really listen to these words because it says, Failure equals feedback. Then feedback equals knowledge. Then that knowledge then equals power. So what that ultimately means is that failure gives you more power. I love that. I've never seen it in that loop before. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. And, and, and that's why people say that failure teaches you way more than success. Because when you succeed at something, what do you do? You don't change anything and you keep doing the same thing to defend it. Yeah, you just keep trying to defend it. But, yeah. but again, it, it changes nothing with your behavior. Whereas when you fail and you get feedback, now with that new knowledge, you now change the formula. And when you change the formula, that's what gives you power. So I, I really love that. It was a nice, really nice kind of mental model to look at how failure actually leads to power. Yeah, it's, it's so true. Like I found, you know, our business probably the last couple of years where – post COVID and all of that, you just get a little bit too safe. Get and that was one of the biggest notes is like, we need to fail more at stuff. Mm. We need to put ourselves out there and make some decisions that actually have a little bit more risk to them. Yeah. Because it was just like, 
Yeah, there's nearly a downside, and I'll put this in talking marks, of making just too many good decisions where you don't have a negative outcome. Mm. It's like, well, surely we're either missing out on something here or we're yeah. not seeing something. Like it just can't have that sort of level of consistency, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then you start seeing it, you know, things just sort of plateau a little bit or you know, they, they lose their, their energy or whatever it is where it's like, okay, we need to actually integrate new perspectives, more failure, you know, different styles. And yeah, it's, it's one of the biggest parts of this game, I think. It's just life, mm. right? Like life is always moving and shifting. Like the universe is always unfolding. Mm-hmm. And if you try to, I think one of the biggest things that causes pain is often when we're just trying to hold on to something as it changes and we can't accept that change. Mm-hmm. Well, that's one of the biggest things that I've found as well. It's like when you get into that mindset of, oh, I wish life was just like how it was back in the day, mm-hmm. or I wish I could just rediscover that, that feeling of peace I had or mm-hmm. whatever it was, or I wish that relationship could go back to the way that it was at this period in time. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, they're just things that, realistically won't happen. Yeah. You know, like the world moves forward and the quicker we are to adapt to that. And I think that ties back to failure because that's nearly one of the forms of how we experiment with change. And I think there's a natural desire to fail less as you get older. Yeah. Because you start to feel more fear because you have more to lose. Yep. Well, you think you have more to lose. Yeah. The, the, the book talks about this concept of, there's two types of decisions in this in this part of the chapter where it says there's types of decisions they call one-way door decisions. Yeah. That door can only go one way. That's right. So once you make that decision, if it's bad, there's no coming back from it. Hard to reverse it. And and there are very real decisions with those type of, you know, type of decisions in life. But then there's a second category of decisions where they're called two-way door decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Which means, sure, you can go through that door, but you can kind of come back. Yeah. So these decisions are reversible. But what I think is happening here is as we get older, we start to label the majority of the decisions in our lives as one-way door decisions. For example, the classic one I see is people who start to say things like, I can't change careers. And they view that as a one-way door decision. Whereas, well, no, you, no, that's a two-way door decision because you could leave that industry, try something new, and if it fails – well, you can still go back and do that for the remainder of your 45 years that you have left in your life. You still totally can. But I think because we start to classify most of our decisions later on in life as one-way door decisions, it stops us from taking more risks, which as a result decreases our failure rate. So I think you've got to be really careful, depending on where you are in life, about over-categorizing decisions in your life as one-way door decisions. I think you've got to be really careful with that. There's a lot of philosophies as well where they focus on just viewing the world and everything within it as temporary, right? Because there's a bit of reality in that. You know, like even us as human beings, we're not permanently here. No. Right? Like we have a lifespan. Well, nothing is permanent. Right? right? Like the things that we own aren't permanent. And I think that's the thing that the mind can nearly trick us mm. into thinking that, oh, I own this thing. Or this is a forever thing. Or this is going to last forever. It's that type of thinking that I think can trap us a little bit. And again, it's bringing awareness to it and being like, okay, well, what's the actual reality here? Mm. Right? Like if I do go through this two-way door, I love what you said there. Is it irreversible? Mm. Will it pretend, what is the upside potentially higher than the downside? Right? Like, can I, can I make another move to then, Mm. yeah, at the very least get back to where I was? Or will it unlock a new door? that opens up a whole different world. 
to mm. go and explore. And you know, last week when I, last week I had to cancel on a client yeah. to work with a client. I had to cancel a whole week worth of virtual deliveries. Yeah. And I felt so bad. Yeah. And I think even in talking about this now, it's made me feel better because I looked at that as a one-way door. Yeah. That, oh, I had to cancel that week. That means I'll never be able to do it for them again. But in reality, it's a two-way door. Yeah. I wasn't able to do it last week, but I'm able to do it next month. Yeah. But yeah. I beat myself up so hard last week because I felt like I let a client down. I've never canceled things like this before so last minute. But I, I beat myself up because I looked at it as a one-way door type decision. But, it, but it's not. It's, in reality, it's, it's a two-way door. And I think it's also – it's really tricky as well when certain events happen in our lives mm. and we only focus on that as a singular event, mm. right? So then that's where the narrative can shift because all of a sudden you've lost perspective of everything that you've done in that three-month period yeah. because one negative thing might have happened or you disappointed one – key client or one key person yeah. and that reframes the whole the whole chapter right it's like oh my god i'm a i'm a piece of shit like how do i let this happen like i should never have done that yeah, i'm never going to be like able that. to get that back right and it's easy to get in that loop yeah and you lose sight off you know 98 percent of it that you've actually completely nailed and that's fully aligned with where you want it to be at well you know what's right? scary is that if i didn't if i if i didn't understand that yeah and 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 cancel. Yeah. I could have walked through a one way door. Yeah, which was my health. Yeah, right. Because you you can damage your health sometimes to a point where there's no coming back as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that was like, and I think that was just a great, I think, learning experience. You mm. know, just watching you sort of navigate that process over the last yeah few weeks as you had to go through that is like okay, well. How do you then learn from this, mm. right? Because it's just another one of those teachers. It's like, okay, well, I need to look at my schedule. I need to look at the priorities. Mm. I need to look at how I'm managing health, right? So you've already got all these, right, by bringing awareness to it. Mm-hmm. But that's often something that we miss. So there's, a, there's another alternative that often happens where it's like, I'm just going to feed into that negative loop, you know. Yeah. I'm going to make more decisions that probably won't serve that, oh, you know, and it's just going to compound, Right? Mm-hmm. So it's like how quickly, and this is the big thing, and I've seen you do this multiple times, it's like how quickly do you then recalibrate that Yeah, yeah. so that it's like, okay, this has happened. I felt this way. It sucked. I learned this. But in the next phase, I'll make some adjustments. Yeah. Right? And if you're minimizing those to like four or five experiences as a really high performer every year, doing pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like they're yeah. going to happen. Like yeah. you just can't have win yeah. after win after win after win. Like yeah, the world yeah, just yeah. doesn't work like that. Yeah, you need these corrections and they're often the greatest teachers as well. Mm. Right? It's like, okay, well, this is where the priorities are. This is what the focus is and this is how we move forward. And I think it's just having that healthy relationship with feedback loops, mm. right? And then taking the time, this is what we often all don't do, is we don't take enough time to just pause for a second and then just be like, all right, let's take a breath. Mm. And let's actually do a little bit of a scan of what's really going on here and then just simplify the game a bit, right? When it gets a little bit crazy, fast, overwhelming, it's like, okay, well, and the, the way that I really like doing this is like, okay, it's all hectic right now. What's just two to three moves maximum mm. that I'm going to make mm. in the short term? And you just simplify it. And it's like the practice is nearly not thinking about everything else and just reducing the noise as much as possible. Because then it's like, okay, well, now I can build momentum going through those three that I need to, and then I'll keep – then the rest of the list will still be waiting as we get through it. Yeah, that's, it was a powerful experience for me. Last week was a week I would look at as being a week where I failed. 
And it was, it was important Mm -hmm. because if I didn't fail, I wouldn't have gotten the feedback. If I didn't get the feedback, I wouldn't have the knowledge of how I could change the way I'm approaching next year and the way I schedule my months. So it was actually quite a critical failure for me. I needed to learn that lesson. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and I guess the hope is you just don't learn the same lesson too many times. You just don't want to repeat the same failure, right? Same lessons. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Otherwise learning new lessons is important. Absolutely. But this really helped change my perception of failure as well. Because I think as you, you, you grow on your journey, as you start to do really good things and achieve greatness, then you, you kind of start to become resistant to failure. You're like, oh, I don't want to fail anymore because I've been on a pretty good track record now. It kind of, yeah. kind of hurts to come last. You know, I've come first, second or third a lot. Yeah. I don't really want to come 50th, Yeah. right? But, but again, when you come 50th, that is, there's so many lessons there. The richest lessons are learned there. Value, value does sting a little bit more when it the does. perceived stakes are higher. Yeah, it does. Right? Yeah. Um, I think that's why it hurt me so much yeah, last week. Yeah. It was because, yeah, as you started to win a lot, you're like, oh, man, this feels great. And then when you, you just get punched in the face, it, oh, man, it sucked. Yep. Really sucked. Good awareness. A couple of last ones from us. One, one, one more each, and, and that's it. We'll wrap it up. All righty. Just a quick one. Yeah. <clears throat> Law 28. Ask who, not how. Mm. All right. So this one's about people. So often we'll sit there and, you know, we'll think that we have to be the one that controls the actions and we have to figure out this problem or this mm. solution. And I love this reframe because I'd usually default to how do we solve this? Yeah, that's me too. Right? Like there's got to be a way. Like how, how can I solve this? Or yeah. how can the people that I know right now maybe solve it? But then it's also just this reframe of, ah, is there anyone else out there? Like who can solve this? Mm. Who out there has solved this before? And then can I bring them in to solve it? And when I like started thinking about that more and more, I started looking back and the who has always been so much more powerful than my how. Mm. I've, ne- I've never beaten the who. When I've gotten really good quality people yeah. around to help me solve a problem, yeah. exponentially better outcome yeah. than when I've just tried to really, you know, dig in and try to solve it myself. Like that gets me to a point. Yeah. It's got such a limitation. Well, that's there. the problem because when yeah. you think how, <laughs> yeah. guess who's doing it? Yeah. You. You're limited by your own knowledge. Well, well not, not only that, but you're limited by your own ability. Yeah. Because when right. you think how, guess who ends up doing the how? Yeah. It's you. Yeah. But when you think who, at least you're bringing in somebody else who's good. Yeah. That's kind of like one of my biggest things right now is I always think how, and as a result, I'm doing all of the operations in my business. Yeah. Whereas now I think who, I'm trying to find someone who's going to do operations better for me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good one. Yeah. Get people, yeah. If you can leverage the intelligence of others and their skill set, yeah. And I think I'd see a lot of these lessons are for businesses yeah. that this have the resources one. to be able to go for who, this is right? Whereas yeah. again, if you don't have it, you, mm-hmm. you've got to stick to the yeah, how. But who can be a book? Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Like who true, can be true, googling true. Uh, an article? So it's like rather than just defaulting to I'm going to solve. Yeah, it's like is there a YouTube video on this? Mm. Is there a book on this that I can borrow? Okay. Yeah. So I don't think it's necessarily just for the business. I think mm. it's just more, I think it's more as a problem solving little tool. Tool. Okay. Yeah. No, I love that. Okay. My last one would be, I mean, I found this title really thought provoking where it says your skills are worthless, <laughs> but your context is valuable. Mm. And I really like this one. Okay. Uh, it's just saying that you, you've, you've got to learn that if you're selling your skills in the wrong market or industry, you're undervalued. And, and learning how to get the right skill in the right market is everything. So for example, when I was teaching magicians showmanship, 
that was a really low ROI market for me because a lot of magicians are very technically minded and didn't value showmanship. They don't value it. They don't, again, people, most, most, most magicians are hobbyists and just doing it as a hobby, right? Whereas then when I took teaching, showmanship is a fancy word for communication yeah. skills, but when I took communication skills and served the corporate market, same skill set that I'm teaching, it was valued way higher in the corporate world than it was in the magic world. So I was like, wow, that is such a powerful example of that. And then I thought of another example. It, an accountant isn't that highly valued in the professional because there's so many accountants. But what's interesting is accountants in the underworld, they get paid a lot of money. <laughs> it's the <laughs> same skill set but yeah. in a different industry, yeah. one that I'm not encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. But it was just another example because, again, I had a background in accounting, yeah. right? And, and, and I remember watching movies and shows where these accountants yeah. who, do, who did accounting yeah. for the drug lords. Yeah. And lawyers. Yeah, yeah. and lawyers, yeah. yeah. But, but, again, it just kind of speaks to that concept of a skill, if you put it in the right arena, it will get valued exponentially as compared to if you just take that skill and you put no thought into the arena in which you're delivering that skill to. Right. So, so I just thought that was such a cool, such a cool twist that I never thought about that I was actually doing, but I never thought about. It's like, again, magic. If I just performed it randomly out on the streets, people might give me $2 as a tip. But if I went into the corporate market and did roving magic for a group of people who are bored at a networking function, I can turn that into two and a half, three thousand $3,000 for an hour. Or I can do it on the street. And even if I did it really well, I might make 50 bucks in that hour. Whereas if I did it well in a different environment, it's valued way differently. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So I thought that was a really powerful twist on, because I overvalue skill and I never think about the context for the skill. Mm. So that just allowed me to understand that, wow, if I combine the two, that's that's an amplifier. It got me thinking about apprenticeships. So Mm. say for example, and I use the word apprenticeships, like if you've been working in an industry for a while Mm -hmm. or say you're a student, or there's just a skill that you've been developing. It's like, how do you leverage the value out of that by mm. potentially just shifting it into a different environment? Right. Like, mm. Because even as you were going through that, I was thinking about, oh yeah, like even when I started future golf, the reality is I'd already done an apprenticeship with some of the core skill areas working for a large university, yeah. right? which is around strategy development, which was around entrepreneurship and trying to get ideas put forward. It was around deal making. Mm-hmm. It was around marketing and sales. Mm. So it's like these skills were already being developed over a five to 10 year period. Mm-hmm. Then when I moved them to future golf, which seemed very unrelated, mm. they're actually quite transferable. Right. And the fact that, Oh yeah, I've got strategy here. I've got a little bit around, you know, management. I've got a little bit about marketing here. I've got the ability to form deals and partnerships. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh, awesome. The foundations are already built, mm. but I was just now putting them into a different environment, a different ecosystem. Mm. So it's like, how do we then utilize that? a little bit more. And it, it's really a potentially powerful tactic mm. if you aren't happy or you feel like you've really stagnated in growth yeah. in the current environment that you're operating in. Mm. Or if you're looking for a new opportunity, like spending an hour on just scanning around where you can potentially take your your value and your potential value to other areas. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. I think especially in the world we live in today. Uh, another classic example is I, I, I've got a few CEOs in my network that I connect with. And I remember speaking to them and they'll talk to me about their doctors. Mm. And so a general GP said normal doctor in Australia maybe makes a hundred to 150 grand a year, maybe 200 grand a year. 
But their doctors that they were seeing make 10 to $20 million a year. And you know how they do it? Instead of serving the general market, these doctors specialize in high-performance individuals. They only take on 100 clients. Each client is 150 grand a year. Yeah, well, it's a different model. Different model, but also different market. They're not going, they're they're not taking it for everybody. They're just Mm -hmm. switching what they're doing. Again, it's just the niching, Mm -hmm. right? But it's just fascinating that it's the same skill. Because the people they're looking after, whether they're high performers or whether they're general public, they're still human beings. Yep. So they're just applying the same skill in a different industry and exponential returns. Yep. Pretty crazy, man. So I thought that was, wow, what a hack. The other part there as well is I think if you feel that you're just a cog as part of a system, yeah. it's like how do you then explore that mm. with a little bit more adventure or absurdity, mm. right? And I think we're starting to see that now. Yeah. But Maybe 10, 20 years ago, you'd go get your accounting degree and then you'd work for a big, the big four, right? Mm. You'd go get your medicine degree and you'd become a doctor, whereas now we're starting to see shifts in that. Mm. Like there's fintech companies coming out. There's, there's doctors that are you know, creating startups and apps and they're going down all different routes. And I think that's what we're seeing. Like the world is now a lot more, I guess, set up for innovation where you can take a core skill set or like body of knowledge and then- implemented and executed in a variety of different ways. Mm. Right? There's a lot more, I could think, yeah, possibilities. So if you are part of a system and you're feeling a little bit stagnated, this just might be a mindset or a little shift to explore that a little bit more. Mm. Yeah. I mean, look, overall, I thought this was a really cool book with mm. so many nuggets about business and life yep. that were, were so applicable to where I currently am in my life. And, and look, I'm just, look, I, I, I'm a big fan of the Diary of a CEO podcast. Yeah. So if you haven't checked it out, definitely go check out Stephen Bartlett on, on YouTube and, and on Spotify. An incredible thought leader, so young, so impressive yeah. what he's been able to achieve. I think, I think secretly he's what I wish I would have done by the age of 30, <laughs> yeah. looking at all the amazing things he's done. It's just like, wow, this yeah. guy's incredible with what he's achieved. And I think he's been able to distill so many of those lessons into this book. And look, if you've got the time, check it out. I think it's a wonderful book and it's a wonderful one to read through all the, the 33 laws. Beautiful. Thanks everyone for joining us for this episode of the Vin and Ali show. Cheers. And if you have time, leave us a review. You know what's crazy? As a side note, yeah. I just checked and we're in the top 200 list for some of the most intriguing countries in the world. <laughs> we're in the top 200. I think we're in the top 100 list, top 50 list for Singapore, Malaysia, different parts of India. And, and even different parts of South Africa, which is fascinating. It's pretty cool. It's pretty awesome. cool. And Hong Kong, etc. So, And one of the things that we learned from the book too is don't just say, hey, like and subscribe and leave us a review. One of the moves that he used was, hey, 74% of you will not leave a review or yeah. like or subscribe. <laughs> I think 99% <laughs> yeah, of you yeah. will not leave, leave a review. review. But yeah. you leaving a review and listening to this – helps us in some way, shape or form. I'm not really sure how, mm. um, but yeah, it's like you should probably be the one adding the narrative here. <laughs> no, but look, if you, if you enjoyed it, just know that yeah. most of our listeners yeah. don't leave a review. Yeah. And if you do yeah. it, then it will make us very happy. Yeah. And you won't blame Craig <laughs> yeah. for like, you're not leaving a review. And Thanks then- everyone. We'll, we'll see you in the next podcast before Ali just keeps rambling. <laughs> this one's over. <laughs> Hi, hello, it's Vin. Thank you so much for listening to the Vin and Ali show. We've created something that we're really excited about and we want to share it with you. 
It's called Recalibrate. It's a 12-step process that helps you create more clarity and more alignment in your life. It's the exact approach that both Ali and I have been using to live happier lives and to achieve all of our wildest dreams in the last seven years. It's been crazy. Being one of our loyal listeners, we wanted to share a special something with you. Visit recalibrate.online forward slash Vin and Ali to access the course for 70% off. I hope you will check it out.